Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Twitch, Twitch just died. We've got yeah, a stream panel. just went red. Okay, yeah, my my bandwidth just went into the green, into the yellow. Oh, Twitch and, just came back on. Okay, there we go, <laughs> and we're back. Okay, so we've got a show, we've got a panel, we've got questionable internet bandwidth, but that's never stopped us before. Uh, I am your guest host and streamer today. Some guy who did something on YouTube so long ago, nobody even remembers. I'm Stevie Stroh. In the top left-hand corner, we've got Rick Euland. Welcome, Rick. Howdy, folks. We got Mark Bosley, who's been our primary streamer for longer than he cares to admit to at this point. Mark, uh, take a good nap today. Canadian retro things. Ken Waters is here. How's it going, eh? Wearing my extra loud shirt to keep everybody awake. Oh, that's a beauty, eh? Brian Wees here. How you doing, Brian Weasler? Very good. Cheers. Cheers. We haven't said WeFax yet, but there we go. Uh, we have the creator of Nightmare Highway, and now Robot Nightmare, Ken Reichert is here. How are you, Ken? I'm great. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. We've got the guy who's on top of the links and responding to the people in the live chat. Our resident Apple guy, Mark Overholz, is here. Welcome, Mark. Glad to be here as usual. Our foreign correspondent and news anchor and host of the Color Computer Games list website, Nitrous9 and Ease of Use and all that good stuff, L. Curtis Boyle's in the house. Hello, L. Curtis. Crossing my fingers on bandwidth today. <laughs> bandwidth. Who needs bandwidth? Ah, throw, throw caution to the bandwidth. So the last, the last panel member I was starting to introduce, and I forgot to mention he was also kind of a roving reporter, foreign correspondent, but Sloopy Malibu is also with us, who recently brought us live coverage from Tandy Assembly, welcome, Sloopy. Greetings. And I also did uh, VCF East before that. Um, when are you going to send me to uh, the UK for the Dragon Meetup? Uh, as soon as you get your passport and airfare squared away on your own dime, then we're happy to send you there. Oh, just send me <laughs> instead. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> Honestly, I would love to go out there sometimes myself. We've got a David Ladd sighting in the house. Hello, David. Why, Hello, everyone. <laughs> yeah, David makes the headphones go boom. Uh, okay. <laughs> Alan Murphy, Exile Paradise is here. Hello, Alan. Howdy, howdy. And then James Diffendaffer is with us as well with the sporty circuit board there for his profile picture. All right. And what is uh, our first segment of the day? This guy used to be on quite a bit. He's now decided to uh, grace us with his presence again. But he was one of these people who we'd say has a problem when it comes to collecting because um, he's got way too much crap. And this is why we can't get Coco 3s and Coco 2s and Coco 1s or CCRs or multi-packs or ROM packs or Black Beauties or Deluxe Joysticks or anything anymore because he has basically cornered the market on Coco collecting. But he's a nice guy. Brian Weezer, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? It's good to have you back in the fold, yeah. in the mix with us yeah. all here. I heard you on last week or so with teasing a few things, uh, 
six slot MPI and cool stuff like that. <laughs> um, did you ever get a chance to turn that one on? Um, I did start to play with it a little bit there and hadn't done a whole lot with it, but uh, if I uh, get everything squared away, yeah, I'd like to uh, come back on and I'll uh, show it in action. Cool. So are you going to regale us with um, some cool things and make us all jealous on what you got this this week? Sure. Yeah, I got a few boxes here. We can do a little uh, unboxing here if we want to. So let me do this real quick here. Do the old camera switch. Boom. Got a box. Let's see what's in the box. box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box, Brian? (laughs) Let's see here. And behind door number one. We have, what do we have here? I see uh, bubble wrap. I do like There's, bubble wrap. I'm a fan. Of I see cables. Wrap. And we have here a uh, Cocoa Max. A Cocoa Max. Yeah, what I kind of liked about this one is it also had a uh, had this ribbon cable, which I always like these Y cables. So that kind of intrigued me. So it's uh, this side up. <laughs> so You mean you don't want to look uh, <laughs> short out anything? <laughs> no. And then it also came with this uh, first-gen mouse. Oh, the Black Beauty uh, mouse. With a nice uh, two-pound steel ball on the bottom of it there. So, yes. (laughs) rat. (laughs) No, rat's a separate thing. That was one that Dave dies. It was a dual-button cereal mouse or something, I think. Yes. So, yeah. So, I picked that up off of uh, of eBay there. like that Coco Max and uh, the Coco Max is kind of like a high res joystick interface, right? Yeah, yeah, it does yep. the two fifty six by one ninety two mouse coordinates and hardware. Mm-hmm. I always like them too because they always have the they're all serial numbered as well. So yeah, and doesn't got, um, uh, Coco Man Jason have a um, Joey high res adapter that has compatibility with that? I think. Yes. Yep. Shameful plug. <laughs> and then um, I believe the guy's name is. Um, is it Mike uh, Rayburn? He did uh, he did some products. Um, this will this will look a little familiar to uh, to some of you here. Well, at least uh, let me do this one here. Got another box. Trying to avoid. We need addresses. box opening music for the, uh, for the <laughs> listening <laughs> people listening to the podcast later on. <laughs> for those of you listening, at yes, home, and, uh, right and for those of you that are. Uh, that are uh, OSHA conscious. You're probably liking me using the scissors as a uh, utility knife. There, so. so some of you have probably seen this already um, advertised and talked about, but uh, I've wanted to get get one. This is the uh, the Coco PS2. So it allows you to um, to use either a 15 pin game joystick or your PS2 mouse. And then take it to now puts that to a DIN connector on the Coco. Yep. And who makes this? Um, what's the guy's name? That Mike, 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 yeah, Mike Rayburn. I think is is, is who uh, who's done who does this. Okay. Yeah, he's selling this at Coco Fest, wasn't he? I I believe so. Nice three D printed case. Yeah, nice uh, three B. Kind of there it is. So you can get, get the yeah. it comes with the case, and then you can flip between mouse and uh, and the joystick there. So I, I wonder a, if you plugged in like a digital stick, would it automatically work like the Atari style adapters? Because it's, I'm sure it's sending out the um, 
variable resistance uh, on the pots through the DIN connector. So it'd probably read it like a digital joystick adapter would if you plugged in a digital joystick to that 15 pin connection, like a four, you know, four or eight direction joystick. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah, I haven't had a chance to try it. I only, I only have one joystick that uh, that has that kind of port. Yeah, I um, actually had back in the days of those for the PC. I had one that was like a Sega Genesis kind of with a left thumbed D pad that had like eight directions and stuff. Uh, that would be kind of cool to try on that adapter. And he sends everything that you need here. Uh, you get the uh, you get the uh, the cord to go the from, din connection. From the okay, yep, double headed din. Yep, and then. Uh, Power. This is the yep. The power the, and the power cord for your yep. uh, USB mini USB power. And then for those of you that documentation, are to, this is yep. a well put together and packaged and shipped product. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. Very professional. Documentation. Yeah, documentation. What's that? It's kind of like <laughs> bandwidth. Who needs it, right? I was going <laughs> to say that's <laughs> documentation. That's Bad better than news. my PS2 one. <laughs> Don't talk to me about bandwidth. I, I better not tempt the bandwidth gods by teasing them again. <laughs> they might strike us all down. <laughs> then I got another another box here. Um, this was something no stinking that... bandwidth. <laughs> Lots of boxes here. Lots of boxes. Where's Lots Paul of... Schaefer in the in the in the boxing un, un, opening band when you need them for this? Uh... Little background. I music. could grab my guitar. <laughs> yeah, play a little background, a little box, unboxing riff there for us, Curtis. So I did share one of these the other day, but this one here is uh, just Ooh, just the just the J and M. J and M. Just the J and M. Just yeah, the facts, the, man. The one that I had the other day had a had the switch because it had the extra uh, uh, double ROM, ROM socket. And socket. Yeah, yeah, I could switch. Yeah, and this one here is just. Uh, it may well. It has a uh, the ROM is socketed, so a person could pop the lid on this and. This doesn't have the parallel out. port in the side either, right? Yeah. No, this is just the uh, just the interface. Mm -hmm. I I wonder if that's the revision that needs the mod done to to work on the Coco three, the twelve volt thing. How would you know that? Um, I saw something when I was well, of course, going through floppy controllers that the first JNM had issues with the Coco three for some reason. I don't know what it was. Twelve volt, maybe. Yeah, 12 volt would be my guess if it was designed for the original Coco One. The only other thing is if it had a huge honk in it. Well, actually, no, the Coco One and Two didn't support a ROM up to 32K. Never mind. Probably 12 volt. No. Unless you had a multi pack. Anyways, right. it's beautiful. Yep. Yeah, they were solid. They were metal cases, not plastic. So they were quite nice. I actually had one with the parallel port, which they also sold the driver. You could make it into a, a hard drive controller. Through the parallel port. Yeah, this is a much bigger box. That's what <laughs> I she will, said. I will. Oh, it's got Starbucks <laughs> coffee. <laughs> I will set this back down on the floor, and I will, I will uh, pull we the things out. Never, we should never judge a product by the size of its box. <laughs> it's the contents within that count. So, <laughs> right. yeah, I wonder how many heads could be fit in that one. <laughs> there we go. So, we got Curtis Boyle on the unboxing music for us. There we go. So uh, last week I had shown uh, the uh, peripherals technology uh, um, multi-pack interface that um, uh, Ricardo Sete he had, he had shown on uh, on Facebook. Well, this box is not coming apart as quickly. Sorry, guys. Okay, we, go. we got Curtis here to entertain us. 
Play so, some skittered, man. <laughs> this is compelling. So he, had, he had sent me uh, sent me that plus a few other things, which I'll show here in a moment. But he also sent me some other items um, this past week or the week before. <clears throat> and it's a whole box of goodies here. So I was kind of, this was, um, he had seen this, I think, on the Facebook marketplace, if I recall. And uh, he's primarily a Commodore guy, but he saw this stuff and it wasn't being, uh, being so, uh, no one was buying it. And he didn't want to see this stuff going to the trash because he, you know, wants to retain this stuff like a lot of us do. So a lot of these things are things that you guys have probably seen before, but uh, he wanted to share it with me and him and I kind of worked out a trade on some stuff. So um, right now all we see is genuine imitation wood grain. So there we are. Uh, when are we going to see some actual products? Oh, there we there go. We go. The so Tandy TR-80 uh, Color Computer Technical Reference Manual. I've got, manual. A, I've got a few of those. I like that. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know all what's in the box here, but we'll uh, we'll see here. So we got a... Um, I see you have the color-changing version. There we Although, okay. Yes. I <laughs> uh, got the uh, CCR81 uh, cassette recorder. Is in there. What else we got here? We have... Oops, get them all together here. We have not not one, not two, not three, but four. Black, Black Beauty. Beauty Juice Now Black how much would you pay? Two plastic. How much would you... <laughs> but wait, there's more. Uh, looks like two of them have the uh, the plastic the metal, joysticks. The metal ones, yeah. Yeah, the metal yeah, ones are the first-gen ones that you can actually unscrew the top and do the mm. sawed-off shotgun joystick. <laughs> what are the names on them? Well, and, Radio Shack. Um, they all say Radio Shack, right? Bob and yes. Doug. So this one here has the one that's just the just the slim cylinder. This is the one that is the tapered one where it kind of gets a little fat in the middle there. And it also has the gray cord. Yeah, interesting. So, which kind of so cool. many different variations on those joystick runs, huh? Yes. Because like there was like I think these were the three different versions that were available. Oh, what a whole box of stuff here. I hadn't seen what was all in here. So some of this we do is, have uh, a question about the difference between the CCR 81 and the 82. And it wasn't just the difference the between one, one and two, white. right? Wasn't yeah, I guess I, I little one. It was like was it like a size reduction one on the 82? Or yeah, the 82 was quite a bit shorter, wasn't it? It, it might have been it might have been the shorter 80. one, yeah. And there one was gray, there was a whole white, white. and it died That's about just color. the speaker on that one. It was really small. Yeah. One's gray as one's white as one was Rondova was saying. I've yeah. heard that it's one smaller than the other. I have one of each. Because yeah, when 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 Tan <laughs> when the cocoa was still a TRS eighty and things were silver, a lot of stuff was still matter of fact, some of the early color computer one accessories were just hand-me-downs from the TRS eighty model one, right? So the modems and the cassette players and printers, those were all just oh yeah, we already have these products and let's just make the same DIN but connector and poof. Well, but the not, 81 also came in beige. You could get it in silver or beige. Oh, okay. But not joysticks. I have the CCR 81 here. Oh, yeah, look at that. A nice blue box. Was What about Ooh. mauve? Could I have gotten it in mauve or taupe? <laughs> but it is, this one is beige, so it, it was uh, the Color 2 color computer two version uh, okay. and nobody on the stream saw that ken so oh that's okay well, yeah because because we're looking at brian's empty table right now because that makes for great video. it was just the box i don't i actually <laughs> it's the, like uh, listening to silence on a podcast <laughs> or watching a blank screen on a video right? both equally mesmerizing 
Show us the uh, damn thing. Is oh, that yeah. real wood or is that imitation? Work? Right. At this right. point, I, I, I'm dying for somebody just to start beating away on their keyboard just for something. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody also in the box here. Now. <laughs> uh, uh, the cassettes are in here, but these are all the manuals for some different games that are in here. So we have uh, Phantom Slayer. I have that exactly. Yeah, who are myself. you pointing that to? Because all the, okay, there you go, there you go, there you go. Phantom Slayer. I've never seen the manual for that. That's a cool picture. Yeah, I have that exact have a, one here. My original I bought in '82. Spectral Associates, uh, Space Invaders. Spectral Associates, uh, Metro. Is it Meteoroids? Meteors. Meteoroids. Meteoroids. So, that, so the Spectral Associates ones are actually full color. That's not rare in the Coco community at times. Not quite on par, but <laughs> similar to what the Dragon does. You know, yeah. The Dragon the, still Spectral does it and, and Mictron slash Computer Shack were the two that seemed to do a fair bit of the color manuals okay. back then. Like and the Mark color added logo, some... the color logo there, the pseudo three D look to it. Yeah, good and effort. That, uh, defense. Defense. The best That's offense true. is a good defense. Uh, there we go. Defense. I got that one too. Rumble 3D. Rumble 3D. That's a Mictron computer shack one. Okay, okay. full color. Mictron. Uh, here's another part of the manual there. Kind of sort Mich- of through this here. Mictron, um, not Mictron. Mic- Mic- okay. Mich- oh, yeah, Michigan, Mich- I guess. Yeah, technically. Mich- I always called it Mictron. Mictron. Don't ask me why. Uh, here's Mictron uh, Speed Racer. Now, does that one come with all the codes you had to type in in the game? Is um, it a big one? Boy, I don't know. Uh, this I'm looking. Oh, no, at that's just, just the manual. A, okay. I mean, yeah. that's good artwork, but it's black and white, and that would be so much better if it was in color. You know, that's yeah. Because Speed Racer is a premier game. Color printing back money. then though was hugely more expensive than black and white, so oh, it's yeah. understandable. Uh, Tom Mix colors uh, hadn't even been discovered or invented yet that, that long ago. Right. Well, what is that? I can't read that. Yeah, this is uh, it's probably hard to read here. It's a P51 Mustang flight simulator. Oh wow! Okay. Um, yeah, it's like oh. a generic binder with just a little label stuck on it with the name of the game, huh? Well, this is interesting. So here's a here's another piece to that um, to the um, uh, manual that I showed yesterday or last week there for the basic technology uh, or from uh, peripheral technology. But this is basic though. But it has the I think this is what we refer to as the PT one thousand, where you can see here it doesn't have the the buttons or the lights that I showed last week on the ones that uh, the one that I had. So. That's interesting. Oh, you know what my problem has been? I've been watching this on YouTube and it's like three seconds behind you. So I'm like yelling at you like, dude, when are you going to put this down? I, <laughs> the picture's not matching your words. And I'm like, damn, I'm a tard. What can I tell you? <laughs> hey, Grandpa. Yeah. This looks like a, a, a platinum software uh, work saver. <laughs> it has this uh, keyboard. Yeah, isn't that the yeah. one that was kind of like the MC10 keyboard where you could like hit a certain key combined with another key and you'd get like a keyword from basically like, go to or something like that? Yeah, it has all these different commands here. Input then. Can you bring timer. it close to the? There you go. 3D. Zoom it in and out. Come on. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is like the MC10. Like, focus. Yeah, focus. Focus. Um, but that's for the um, chiclet board, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, color. Oh, I'm not very good at this pronunciation. That's this Dennis okay. Bathory Kitts's four voice music synthesizer program. Green micro. Yes. Quaver. Yeah. Okay. Dennis Kitts, of course, is in charge of the Coco list. Coco mailing group. mailing list. Here's a uh, Coco copy. Who's that by? Oh, uh, the Adam. Peter something. Uh, Peter, or another. It's kind of blurry. Peter 
Kowalski, Karwalski. Karwalski. I don't remember. I remember the data man. I remember their ads on Rainbow. I don't remember that particular program. Who can make a software? The data man can. Here's speak up, speech. I can't hear you. I have that one myself too. <laughs> speak up, uh, text to speech. That's a software uh, speech synthesizer at 16K and 32K version. Oh, I remember I remember doing that, making my programs talk <laughs> and stuff like that. It was like, it sounded almost like Fury, my computer shack. Yeah, that really, yeah it was really low, low fidelity, yeah. but to fit in 16K, you kind of had to it just. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was cool though. You can make it um, laugh and all kinds of stuff. Big Numb from ni- 1982 Quasar Animations. Big Big Numb? Yeah, that was a uh, utility. The Quasar is more famous for doing stuff like Guardian, the game, and, and stuff like that. But Big Numb was a thing for doing really huge numerical calculations, like with you know 60 points of floating point accuracy or something like that, if I remember correctly. Uh, here's a screen 64. Just a That's a high-risk down. screen thing for doing um, like 30, or you know, true lowercase on a Cocoa 1 or 2. That doesn't have a lowercase chip. Plus, it'll do like uh, 42 column, 51 column, 85 column type thing and, and give you some color controls and smooth scrolling and a bunch of things. Uh, Packet Man. Wow. That's that a is... really early Greg Zumwalt Pac Man type game from Total American Small printer. Business Computers. Total line. What did they write on there? <laughs> Uh, Grant <laughs> David Grant. Lord says big numb sounds like an affliction. <laughs> <laughs> What's that this one? year's a uh, Grand Slam Bridge. Oh, yeah, listen, I have not played that one. I like a Grand Slam Breakfast, but I guess Grand Slam Bridge is the next best thing, right? Uh, I'm not sure what this is. This is a uh, it's a line printer listing, a listing a printer. Some it's yeah, some sort of a, yeah, it's a basic program, so I'm not sure what that is. It almost looks like assembler because I see all the kind of uh, address lines on the left hand side, it might be assembly uh, source code. Uh, it's in basic here. Oh, it's uh, in the basic? First, yeah, the first line is uh, Rem, game of single player golf. Oh, okay. I just, um, oh, I guess because it's got the format of putting out a screen. I'm not using basic formatted. That's all. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, here's another sheet for Packet Man. Packet Man. And uh, Tom Mix Software. Worlds Ooh, a binder. Of, Worlds yep, of Flight. That had a full binder. Nice. Ooh. Now we're getting into tangible. Well, that's a different binder than I have, though. Mine's actually that's got a, a, that's a, a vinyl binder. Nice. That's that's like getting closer to Tandy yeah, standards here. Radio Shack stuff. Give me one second here. Whoops. Wow. Cassette Palooza here. So this must be the software for Platinum Works uh, WorkSaver. So here's the these are all the cassettes for the things I just showed you. Then so here's the. The platinum software. Here's a color. You know, the color Quavar. Uh, the data man. The data or, man. Oh, this is the Coco copy. The data man can. The data there's, man can. There's the Rommel 3D. Rommel 3D. Yeah, I have that one myself too. Here's the Tom P51. Mix. P51 Atomic software. Nice, nice label there at least. Uh, illustrated memory banks. Advanced. Uh, huh. I'm not sure what that's all about. Uh, World of Flight. Uh, here's the uh, Speed Racer. Oops, the cassette's coming up. This is like, this is like the average day of a Dragon user's life. But this is like un- <laughs> uncommon for Coco to be going through this many cassettes. You know, <laughs> there's a Packet Man. Here's a oh Bedlam. Bedlam. Oh, I love Bedlam. Plug. Oh, this just says duplicate on it. I'm so calling. I'm, sure I'm it. calling plug on this segment here at this point. So. It, it's a duplicate. <laughs> plug. This is, the, d- uh, is there anything you did not buy 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that would be shorter. Let's go over the yeah. list. Yeah. <laughs> Show us the two things you passed on. Brian's wanted list. <laughs> Is there anything left on I still don't have? So here's the Grand Slam Bridge. Here's a Phantom Slayer. Um, um, Brian, I don't want to overcomplicate this, but I'm going to ask you the question real quick. But on the camera we're looking at now, do you have the ability to turn off autofocus and do a manual focus? Because I find it's kind of blurring in and out. And yeah, if you, if you I struggle kind with of that. I hard focus it on what's on the table, and because uh, it, it's getting really kind of every myopic. time your hand goes through, it tries to focus on your hand. Yeah. And, sure. Um, let and me if it's going to take more than thirteen seconds to do, then just keep going. And we'll deal with it. But I figured for future reference, if uh, yep. No, that's one of the things I've wanted to do is make a little investment in, uh, you'd think all this cocoa stuff I could afford a camera, yeah. you know, but. Because uh, I'm the packet man. You spend it all on cocoa stuff. Packet <laughs> man running around the no, maze. No, no money left for uh, a camera or food, but he's <laughs> got lots of cocoa stuff. Well, he's here's got a, a nice watch. Yeah, no too. budget. Yeah, yeah here's the, uh, the color cosmic. Uh, here's defense and the color metroids. Color metroids. And then, of course, everybody's uh, favorite and must have. Ah, personal, personal finance. Personal no, finance. color scripts it. Second only to color scripts it. I was color just about to say that. There you go. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all he needs is that math one. All he needs is the math one, and we have the trifecta. Yeah. What is that one there? That's one of the logos, isn't it? This is Super logo. Yep. Okay, nearing the bottom of the box here, we have a manual. There you go. So is that the original that thin one or is that the full thick one? How many chapters? If it's that's full thick one. thick one. Yeah, because originally Look, Tandy didn't have it fully contents. ready and only they published the first 14 chapters there, for both the first year. Is there a table year. of contents and see if it's got more than like 13 chapters in it? Yeah, it'll have the uh, part four semi-language stuff and a few other things if it's the full one and it, it skipped those on the early releases because they weren't ready. Chapter 24. Okay. Yeah, that's a problem. Prob probably more. That's the... Completed edition. I think I have one copy of the shortchanged printing of that. Then <clears throat> a couple uh, rainbows. Do a little rearranging you gotta here. Move, you got to move that small stack of tapes out of the way at this point. Now the camera can only hold so much content. Rainbow. Ooh, is that like Vanna White there turning the? Uh... Uh, <laughs> can can you can your desk hold all the weight of this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Let's see here. Here's computer user. No, I see a basic computer games TRS-80 edition. You do see that, don't you? Oh, here's the oh, this is nice. Here's the this is a nice thick super manual logo for, manual. Yeah, nice and yeah. thick. They actually list all the commands <laughs> and some examples, huh? Yep. I'm trying to remember super logo, the one that uh Dale Leard worked on, or is that? No, I think that was DL logo, and that was on. Oh, right, yeah. There's so many logos for the Coco. There's at least yeah. three. The Radio Shack. I don't, I don't sold. know who did Super. I never, I never mess with logo back in the day. Yeah, it was Larry Kiardi or something. Michael P. Zabinski introducing the TRS-80 Level Two Basic and Computer Programming. Yeah, this has been for like your Model One. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the other one for the Model One, and then TRS-80 Edition. And here's the color com color computer secrets reveal. Ooh, shh, it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> just just between all of us, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, yeah, if you, you put a piece of scotch tape over pin 40 while you're in the store, you can download <laughs> the cartridges. Are, are, are there any juicy photos in there? Don't tell anybody. It's a secret. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so the, that was uh, that was that part of it. And then, sorry to keep going on here, guys, but uh, he was very generous. Yeah, and, part, uh, so two. part two. Part two. So here's uh, this is PTFX instructions. I'm not sure what PTFX 16K was. Uh, makes it possible for you to send graphics characters and graphics print to such a, such printers as the Line Printer 7. Yeah, they had a couple of screen dump utilities, basically, I think is what it mostly was. <clears throat> but um, like I had the CGP 220 one, the color one, but uh, this was a, for some of the older black and white printers to do screen dumps, I think. And then uh, INT, INT Basic or INT Basic? Integer Basic. Integer, okay. integer Basic, huh? Okay. Um, so, uh, screen 64. There you go. Printing 64 columns on the screen. You can download my code to do that. No. Intelligence. <laughs> uh, Teletronics. Screen Teletronics, the guys that did Starfire and Donkey Monkey. I, yeah. And then uh, here's key. His probably does more. Is it mine. key uh, 264K? Yeah, we've talked about that on the show before. That's where you could run two programs at once. Okay. So that, that was also part of the goodies that was in there. Wow. <clears throat> and then this is always like this, uh, the Super Color Writer 2. The cartridge? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it became, eventually it got renamed to VIP Writer. It's part of the VIP library. This is the original word processor that Nelson Software Systems, before they changed the name to SoftLaw, published. Oh, okay, what I thought, kind of in, what I thought was like interesting it. about these cartridges is that it's not a cartridge. It's actually a cassette case that they use yeah. as a cartridge. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That's cool. I haven't seen that before. Boxes were hard to come by. They were expensive. Yeah. Injection molding is not, not cheap. cheap. You think they glued it on the inside, or is there a screw? I'm not sure because it's all uh, taped. It's all taped up. Yeah, and you're not. You want to wreck that because that's a rare one. I've I've seen the disc and cassette versions of Super Color Writer, but not the cartridge. I did not know VIP was uh, originally Super Color Writer. Yeah, Dan Nelson, so, I think, is one of it. Yep. So the last uh, the last set of things here I'd like to show you. Um, this was something I was very excited about because I've I've seen it, but I've never been able to get my hands on one. And it was part of that that lot that he had, and uh, the A bus. Oh right! Oh not sure. yeah. Not sure He's got full page ads with all the different peripheral cards you can put in that sucker, and it was yep. cross platform. And yes, it was cross platform. Yeah, because it, it it talks about like the the Atari, the Commodore, um, the the color computer. All had an interface that then would go into um, uh, onto a card, so you could uh, you know connect up different peripherals. This here is what it's showing here is that I think they called this the the, the mother interface or the something mother uh, board, and you could that's where you could plug in the different cards, or you can plug in just a card into it. And so this is what the uh, the one for the color computer looked like, this ROM cartridge, and then it had a ribbon cable that you then could plug into the card. That cassette case <laughs> that's yep. what it looks like <laughs> so here's 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 oh, the, hey. this, is, this is the card that's itself. a real deal yep and it has this uh, i'm not sure if it's a 50 pin header on it right here which then used this ribbon cable wow that ribbon cable looks brand new in the bag yeah i don't think this stuff was ever used does it still have that new cable smell <laughs> yes it does wow. so this end here goes into the cartridge and then the These other end would go into the bus. I want my money back. I can't smell it. 
And then it had it had the two edge card connectors for the different cards that might uh, that you might have, and it had all sorts of different cards that were available, different input output cards. The one that I was really intrigued by was this one here, and it came with a dual stepper motor card. Wow! And so here's the card itself. You actually have some of these A bus cards. Yep. So here's the it, dual stepper motor card, and is is that ribbon cable got A bus slots on it? So it's kind of like a multi pack ribbon cable. Essentially, yeah. So the this edge here. So that's an A bus slot. Okay. So that goes into the ribbon cable and then that goes into the cartridge that goes into the cocoa. Yeah. Correct. And you could run that yep. kind of like the Y cable setup he's got there, or you could get that mother backplane thing where you could Okay, put so that like mother backplane thing just kind of turned the ribbon cable into a rigid cage for a lot of the cards. mother of all universal yeah, buses. Yeah, this is David that... Ladd's wet dream of a multi-pack, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. David, <laughs> stop, David. Stop, stop, stop. So all of these cards are are addressable. So I was going to say, what, how from, do you know that? Yeah. yeah so from what I understand, reading through the manual a little bit there, each one has its own unique address. Um, and so you would peek and poke it to either read or send information uh, to the card from the way almost kind of like IRQ lines or like SCSI IDs or something like that, right? Yeah, because I mean, essentially, this cable is just a, it's, it's just it's, one pass through, it's a it's ex- a series circuit, essentially. Yeah, ex- yep, exactly. So it had the dual stepper motor card along with and it came with a dual stepper, two separate yeah, motors. stepper motors, wow. Wow. Hey, two stepper motors. Dual stepper motors. Yeah. Yep, wow. that you could uh, that you could hook up to it. And then it also had one other card here this is the digital input card. So it has all these different uh, inputs. Uh, if you... This is almost like what you can get with like a Raspberry Pi now for all those kind of like header connectors. This, this and... was kind of that mentality back then. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But back in the day, all those opto-isolators so that your digital inputs didn't fry your cocoa, those were hard to come by. That was yeah. that was extra work. What about is there a is there a dual defibrillator for when you go in, when David has a heart attack by uh, that's that's what a, the stepper motors are for having us rev them up and let them go. <laughs> so sorry, you clear. guys have wound me up. Oh yeah, clear. <laughs> put the paddles to David. <laughs> It'll be part of the Dave drone. It'll control the rotors uh, later. On, so. so out of curiosity, I thought, well, shoot, I wonder does anybody sell any of this stuff on eBay? And so I did a quick search. And a guy had a whole, had a lot that he was selling. Not a whole lot, but a lot. And he had this here out there. It's, it comes with this nice manual. It's the CS149 Quad Smart Stepper Motor Controller. Wow. And when dual stepper motors are not enough, we're going quad. (laughs) Quad. (laughs) Like quadraphonic, man. And also include, and I'm not sure exactly what all of these do, but it also came with this power driver board, this remote control keypad stepper motor breakout board and a switch breakout board and this is what i thought was really cool is this guy here this is the this is what it talks about in the manual and here's your four stepper motors i well, you're your right Steve. i'm looking i'm looking at i'm looking at the screen here and yeah this is not focusing worth crap is it so yeah but yeah i can see the header connectors there on the end there yep so the motors, so motor yeah. one two three and four and it had different inputs um this thing actually has it has a, a Z eighty four hundred processor on it, so it's a Z eighty processor. It's a and, Z it, and, it, and it has a a ROM on it. And so, from what I understand, this thing's actually you can program it, and then it can run on its own 
wow. I'm understanding it. Yeah, it's got a little uh, a battery on there too, so it's got some type of non-volatile something going on with that little battery. Because a plane stepper motor, you would have to do the timing yourself. I assume this thing you can just say go to 43 degrees and it'll just. Yeah, I have to read a little bit more. <laughs> so but it does... Frank from Retro Rewind says a four stepper controller could power a 3D printer or CNC machine with your cocoa. I, I smell a side project. <laughs> John Linville has the um, back plane that I sold him. Oh, yeah, for A bus type stuff? Yep. Did you ever fiddle with that actually? Like, program or no. not like any sample programs that came with it or anything? Or? No. Wow. In the, in the package was also another stepper motor controller like the one I showed you before. Wow. And he then, has uh, a real time clock on his. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo something that Fred Provancho was saying in the live chat too. A bus is one of those things that I've heard of but not, have not really seen. So the fact you've got this much A bus stuff in one room is pretty remarkable. And, and it just got used more than it's ever been used in its <laughs> yeah, entire right. life. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's seen more sunlight and oxygen in its entire year <laughs> lifetime at this point. So. <laughs> also, that's a funky looking card. Also, this keypad here that has these switches, these directional oh, wow, switches, and it has this uh, port here, which I'm assuming corresponds with this port here. And unfortunately, it didn't come with any cables, but uh, uh, we'll see. I would say just a standard network cable should do Looks the like job. Phone yeah. line. And so there's a couple other cards here. That, uh, I don't exactly know all what. I think this is the power board card. Um, it has some regulators on it. I think you probably input some voltage and then it probably gives you some, this, and this might provide like some driver voltage for the uh, separate motors. Uh, here's a controller card. And then and this interface card stuff. here, which I'm assuming this could, uh, this could plug into one of, one of the, uh, one of these cards. Then it has a, uh, a Centronics connector in the back. Yeah. And I'm assuming this would be like, if you wanted to extend it to somewhere, you could use this as a, as a cable to get from you know, cable. or, or yep. plug it into a PC and drive it. Oh, potentially. Yeah. Finally, a use for a PC. <laughs> <laughs> when I had the uh, um, backplane thing, uh, what I thought was uh, it, that is a chance for things to go up in smoke quick. So I never <laughs> plugged it in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, Mark uh, Bosley, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you fix the time on your uh, OBS? Because you copied mine and it still says Eastern Daylight Time for yours. And Well, damn. That's what I get for use, using your stuff. Yeah, using my template, right? So. Uh, well, the time is correct. The zone, yeah, time just zone the, is wrong. The, the zone is wrong, yeah. All right. I'll... If you could take care of that, that'd be great. Yeah. All right. I'll see if I can find <laughs> it. Yeah. Could you get me those TP, TP reports? Yeah, yes, reports. That oh, would be desk. great. That'd be great. Yeah, uh, that's quite the haul you got there, Brian. Are you done showing us, or you got more? Well, I can show you guys more, Are but you, uh, yeah, I can save some. More. I can save some more for next week. So well, actually, actually, Brian, I wanted to show something because it's it's a bit different than yours. It's my world's a flight, but it's uh, I don't know if this is a newer version of it. Oh wow! If you want to like share that, that in the stream? It's quite different than the more plain manual. That uh, I'm not sure that I can spotlight anybody. So. Okay. Oh, cool. Very cool. Uh, here, let me get everyone is, else out of the is way. Is that a slide-in insert or what? Yeah. Yeah, it's got it even on the spine. It's got it, and then it's got the uh, disc flap and the actual original disc here. Oh, very nice. 
So I, I'm guessing you must have been the first version of it, and this was the uh, the later one, or maybe vice versa. This is the rare one, Curtis. Yeah, well, yeah, he's generic. got older. <laughs> I just got the generic. You know, five thousand people have this one. Well, I'm sure Brian will have a copy just like that by next week. <laughs> well, give, give we, we were waiting for Mr. Dave too, right? So if you're done, um, then maybe Curtis can go to the news before we get into game on. Or if you got more to show, then we could, you know, stretch oh, just a, this just out. a few. Uh, when I was digging through my boxes, I came across uh, came across this guy here. Hundred more things. <laughs> Oops, I didn't want to do that. I want to do that. Just to let uh, Brian have a bit of time to back the truck up to Yeah, his house Mike later. Miller says that Worlds of Flight is uh, one of the games that needs 6309 optimizations. <laughs> that's that's actually a probably a good point. <laughs> it <Anyway>. does. <clears throat> you want to spotlight me again there, uh, Mark? Put on uh, the spotlight. Y cable. There we are. Yeah. <laughs> That is know. not a Y cable. That is the That's a multi-pack on a string is what Asm, that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Complete with power overload of the main power supply. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the the three, three connection Y cables was the most that was ever recommended. Right. This now, technically, if it's three connections, it's no longer a Y. It's a W cable, just so you know. Four. That's slow. No, actually, four would become the, the W. I don't know. And I can imagine the chaos <laughs> if you had four cards that were all not fully address decoded. <laughs> <laughs> the computer's then, uh, like, oh, God, I'm freaking out. And then continuing along the multi-pack theme there, uh, you guys have probably seen this one here made by uh, Howard Medical. Oh wow! Look at yep. that. Uh, it was the uh, uh, get the glare off there. Pack. And I think didn't Orion sell this later, or did Chris Hawks make a version slot of this pack later? Pack three. Slot so pack three. It was a cassette so case. It was, so it's like in a ROM, like in a in a ROM, a disc case. controller style case. Yep. Yeah. And oh, then we've the, got a little power regulation here. And then it used some PVC for some standoffs there, so it would uh, you know set off not from oh, that just so it to kind of balance it when you plug it into the side of the cocoa Be because exactly. clearly a, a full length disc controller is not going to create leverage against those slots you know <laughs> yeah, and if you put three heavy cards like a birkin birkin that thing that thing's just going to uh, sag to the table without that so that's pretty i mean literally that looks oh, like yeah. a like old fd501 controllers i think that's literally what they were using for yeah but they are yeah. it's even got the space for the label on the top so it's yeah any controller where did they get them and then yeah, uh, Rick wasn't was it Chris Fox make some of these too? <laughs> Mike says it's a hybrid multi-pack slash home heating system. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, if you don't need cartridges, just put your coffee on that. It'll keep oh, it. Oh dear God! <laughs> the <laughs> predecessor cool, of the slide, the ejecting uh, coffee tray. There you go. <laughs> but that is super cool. I mean, it's like so. It's really when you think about it, it's. Super efficient space wise place for yep. your yep. cup. You don't have uh, a cocoa close by. It reminds me, like, I think Ed kind of took that design <laughs> and went further when he made his Mega Mini because it's similar. He's got a little stand thing to hold it level right, with the right, four right, slots, right, right. et cetera, and doesn't take much desk space. It's yeah. And you know what? And all the times I kept saying, I don't want to buy a, a mini or a Mega Mini because I have real ones. But now that I'm in a space saving situation i might have to say you know what maybe i need one of these your little... space has been confined has yes it? it has all of my space are not belong to me so uh <laughs> but rick i think you and i both remember those being sold at coco fest the years we we're all going together in the 90s and exactly so steve you were asking if i had a coco nearby yeah so i just want to see, see what that looks like once you um you know fully affix it in what the um 
So it does because so it does uh it does line up nicely here. So I mean as far as the right when you, when you plug it in there as far as so the they, standoff. They bent the Lexan properly then. Yep, I mean it slides in perfectly level. Okay, and then that the And it clue. looks just so different than I expected. <laughs> no, that's cool though. When you yeah. think about it, that's because a regular multi-pack is huge. It's like a cocoa and a half, you know. Yeah, even, even the later ones where they did slim it down from the original yeah. design oh, are yeah. still big. Which way you put the, and go ahead. Which way you put the pack in? Which, uh oh. Uh oh. Because you don't know. Uh -oh. <laughs> this is for the cocoa. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> Label to the left. And oh, yeah. you that have a dead cocoa. That there's a smoke generator. Right. That's because it. it's uh there's no like notch right, or anything right, 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 pin yeah. one. Is there is there a manual that comes with this Brian by any chance? By, <laughs> by any chance there is there. RTFM right there, huh? So <laughs> if this isn't like USB, uh, you can stick right. it in either way. Now that's one thing Ed did improve on his because he yes. actually has it so it only fits in a certain way because he has right. groups around the socket. Right. So Good catch there, seen. round elbow. You is bet. That three, is that a three-way switch? So you pick your slot one, two, three? No, it's so that you could put them in e either way, I'll bet you. Maybe a, <laughs> no, it doesn't a work. power switch, perhaps. It's a polarity inverter, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's a it quantum power, so. universe destroyer. I wonder if there's a ROM in it. If it is there is there like a ribbon cable in the back where this is also a disc controller too, or no? No, no, it's just slots. No, it's, I remember these well from the fest. Yeah. They were used yeah, okay. by quite a few of the vendors. Okay. You switch that and it pages the Q continuum. <laughs> but it does say on the top, though, it says bus extender for the color computer one, two, and three. Okay, so, so it's got so the voltage thing figured out, huh? Why, I guess it's got a separate power supply you plug in. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Why do you think there's a hole in it? Because it's a disc controller, and they just use the reuse. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's the where, screw. That's where the screw Oh, you mean that hole? There. I thought you meant the one on the edge, sorry, on the yeah. back. That's where they had to, that's power. to uh, hack the original oh, yeah. contents out of it. So. <laughs> yep. Complete well, with wire like said, wrap. Yeah, they made it out of wire wrap sockets. Your warranty's already void. I've never seen that before. That is Getting that cool. anywhere near you, your cocoa voids the warranty. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you plug in at the end corner there? That's the right power. That's, that's, that's the, for, that's that's the, for that's uh, the power, power. The power oh, jack right there. Okay. Uh, and you can still plug that into like you know anything that'll take headphones, you know, because putting power into a headphone jack would make total sense. <laughs> now, if you like Danielle, you can take an actual multi pack and plug into the slot three of this plug thing while it's plugged into your multi pack. In hot swap, oh, that would too. work well. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool with some LEDs in the front? It would. So that's called the slot pack three. That is pretty yep. cool. Right. Yeah, let's, Howard let's Medical move. sold it first, and then uh, was it Dave Myers Coco Pro, or was it uh, some other company took it over after Howard Medical? The sixty-eight oh nine Sam Destroyer One. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's not Coco Three compatible because there's no Sam. <sighs> Whoa, there we are. Little, uh, little, little noise there. Sorry, guys. So okay, cool stuff. That was worth it just for the commentary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you want commentary? I can. All right, David. So, well, thank and you for letting shame, me take some time. That the, shame is, the shame of all this is, is that you look at it, 
you put it back in its container and it goes on the shelf and you never use it. And then there comes a time when you pass away and somebody either throws it in the trash or someone picks it up for five bucks at a yard sale. Well, see, and that's kind of along the lines of what I, what I spoke about last week, where I want to start hopefully this winter doing videos and showing how this stuff runs. And I want to bring this stuff right. to Coco Fest. Right, at least Fest document and, it once. At least something will exist of it. Yeah. Yeah, yep. no, but yeah. yeah seeing some, promise. Of, that, seeing some promise. of that A-bus stuff at Coco Fest would be cool. You got to promise that um, you run the video whether smoke comes out or not. <laughs> smoke comes out. Don't clean it up, you know, and say, "Well, you know, we had a little problem, but it, you didn't see that." I want my money back. I can't smell it. <laughs> this is this is why I only do software. <laughs> there you go. Go <laughs> me, me to swear on the cocoa Bible. So anyway, so real. But I mean, you know, Ron did bring up, or was it James that brought up a point that you know, when when people pass away, a lot of stuff just goes to a landfiller or gets distributed. You know. That people don't really know what it is, so it'd be nice to. We talked about this once before, about a year ago, but you know, having a will for your cocoa stuff to kind of well, go some, somewhere you know it's going to be used, whether it's Glenside or or something. Someone else. on Discord just posted today that they picked up all. They basically clearing out uh, this woman's husband's uh, workshop. He was a TV repairman, and she was going to just send it all to the landfill. And he said he'd clean it out for her and pay a hundred bucks for the everything. And she wow. said it's old. Yeah. Well, uh, most of the stuff I got was because someone died. So Yeah, like you inherited Paul Barton's stuff. and I got some, some of his, but um, the guy before, um, Picarillo <laughs> or whatever his name was, I got a garage full of his stuff. Well, at least staying like in the hands of somebody who's going to take actually care of it. actually interested in it. Yeah. Because yeah. well, some people will buy it and then they'll melt it down for like the gold on contacts or something right. like that. Or, you, know, so. you know, what's funny is uh, we sit here and we uh, clean up our um, cases, you know, an ultra vitamin or whatever the, we call it. And then in, in 20, in, um, yeah, 2112, somebody's going to be going through a, 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 you know, a garbage pit and they're going to find a couple of cocos and think, um, geez, these things look white. <laughs> <laughs> these things are super clean yeah. for being 120 it's, years old, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's next? What is next? Are I we don't see Mr. For, Dave yet. So, yeah, well, we were, we get some uh, correspondence from that. So, um, uh, ch check your chat. Yeah, in the yeah, Zoom Mr. Chat. Dave's not going to make it on. I'm just trying to get things queued up here for the draw. Okay. Oh, um, okay. someone on Discord, uh, when we said that Discord or uh, Zoom was open, they wished us a happy eight-hour show. Oh, wonderful. Oh, um, I can get it to 12 I, if you like. I think I we're on track. I do have one... Um, acquisition. I have to walk out and get it, but I did get the new book from Glenn Dahlgren. I saw, I, I heard that you, you showed yours last week, Brian Weasel, right? You got yours. Yep. So, I, I got, yeah, you got uh, all three, the three, the three got, books. Um, and then yep. I, I had the prior two already, but I went ahead and I went, I went all in and I got the, um, the Kindle versions too. Cause he had a promo on that where you can get the new one for like 99 cents for the Kindle. So I've got Kindle versions, hardbound versions, and audio versions of of all of Glenn's stuff. So I started reading his new book on the Kindle, and then I'm now picked it up on on Audible. But yeah, I do. I have it. Uh, it's it's a good book as as the other ones were. If you if you've got one of yours to hold up, you can save me having to get off my ass to go get mine. So yeah, there we go. 
House of Prophecy. Good stuff. Good stuff. And it's, uh, you know, signed by the author, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and you got one of the games from him too, didn't you, uh, Brian? Signed? Yeah, I, yeah, I had asked him if he could send me a copy uh, of, uh, the, uh, of the um, Sinistar. 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 Now you have to get Sinistar. it signed by Dave as well since he has Yeah, right. It. Yep. <laughs> Did yeah, we it's want good to do the game on results? That's a question for Ken. I think Ken's still queuing something up right now. I am ready. Ken is ready. <sighs> okay. Game on results then? Okay. Welcome to the Coco Talk Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Robot Nightmare. We had Robot a total Nightmare. of 21 Nightmare. players. We had Rondell Vo with 300. Wayne with Just for 500. You, <laughs> Mark B, 600. Chris B, 800. Exile in Paradise, 900. Rick U, 1,200. Tied for 14th with a score of 1,400 were David Ladd and AC's 8-Bit Zone. Mr. Dave, 6309 with 1,500. Canadian Retro Things with 2,100. Paul Shoemaker, 2,200. Coco Man, 2,300. Jim Rye, 2,500. Rich N, 2,600. Sloopy Malibu, 3,200. Buck Owens, 4,400. Ken Reichard, 5,000. L. Curtis Boyle, 5,800. Shenley, 6,300. Sabhead, 8,100. And the number one score this week is... Brian Walsh with 10,100. Thanks, everybody that Man, played. Some of you and guts. we will see you again next week. Some of you got spanked. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Brian Walsh. Yeah, the bug finder. Yep. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that I never, I personally never would have found that bug, but. Yeah, I've got uh, one bug patch from Ken, and then I got another one this morning. Here's bug patch number two. I'm like, Good, I finally got a chance to copy them to my SD card. So I've got the most recently patched edition now. And for our beta <laughs> testers, I think I, I think I found a, a bug too because um, when I play it, I get to 300 and then I turn it off and I play it again because I want to be better and I get to 300. Then I try it again, I get to 300 and it, it just didn't seem to. <laughs> Is it my copy or? I think that, no, I, 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 I think the uh, the uh, carbon life form that's operating it needs a firmware update. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that bug is uh, residing between the joystick and the chair. <laughs> well, since we actually have the author Ken on here, did you want to explain for those who don't know what what the bugs were? Not really. <laughs> Just in case yeah. somebody had, hasn't been on our Discord, it doesn't really know that uh, you know these happened and may no. want to contact you 
Brian Walsh, the only person who got 10,000, discovered a bug that uh, I had screwed up the scoring edition. So after the first two digits of the score are in BCD in a byte, and those are working fine. But when I was adding them to roll over to the other bytes, I was clearing the carry flag when I didn't mean to. So what eventually came to is that after 9,900, it would roll back to, a, to 100 or to a zero. So because some uh, bad uh, assembly language programming when I was clearing, <laughs> used a, I used a, a operation to clear a register that I didn't realize also cleared the carry flag if we want to get technical. And then I had a similar problem with the high score table that doing compares where it, it wouldn't uh, compare really anything but the last uh, two digits of the score. So do you find so, that one yourself? No, Brian Walsh found it, of course. <laughs> He's the only one who scored over 10,000 10, or more. So that actually, there's no bugs in the game itself, Discovered Spark System. This, this scoring. in the scoring and high scoring. And high score yes. did, there's Mr. Any bugs? did Mr. Gimes ever do anything for this game? Uh, I, I don't know where Mr. Gimes has been lately. I think he might be uh, hiding out in, say, oh. Costa Rica or something. <laughs> I don't know. He's afraid of you, Ron. Yeah. No, I'll bet, yeah. He's heard about Ron's reviews of his music, so I'm yeah, just, he's hiding. I'm just preparing for the future. Before <laughs> before we get into the results, can I just pick your brain a little bit, Ken, on what was the inspiration behind this? And, you know, because it kind of just came out of nowhere. And um, and then well, boom, and it's it's really good. It is a really, I mean, you it's it's a stunning achievement. It's a very playable, very well polished, fun game. State of the art, high res graphics. Yeah. It is a fairly loose adaptation of a M Network Atari twenty six hundred game called Dark Cavern, which is the uh, Atari version of the Intellivision game Night Stalker. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's one where you run around uh -huh. the maze with like a gun and you have to shoot at things. Yeah, it has a little spider web on the left. And now the Atari one doesn't have the spider web and stuff. So they actually, although if you remember M Network, would, they would do versions of Intellivision games and they would usually be really similar. Mm -hmm. But this particular one is quite a good bit different. The Night Soccer plays a lot more slowly and methodically, and Dark Cavern is more of an action game. But I was originally trying to come up with something more jokey. It was like ukulele hero or something where you'd have to uh, destroy $5 ukuleles. Or <laughs> but I couldn't get anything to look the way I wanted to. And I wasn't really sure what the game would be at that point. Um, and plus, I think that the joke is way out of date. <laughs> Which makes it all the more. Uh, That's all of our jokes, Ken, just so you know. <laughs> Maybe are someday we'll come back to that. But anybody, are you, our, our jokes are as out of date as our computers. <laughs> are you going to more so? Are you going to do pumpkin nightmare next? Pumpkin <laughs> nightmare. Pumpkin spice nightmare. Pumpkin spice oh, nightmare. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but you know, you had sent me a, an advanced screener copy that I fired up, and I didn't realize at first time I played it. I think I told you this. I didn't realize it was a semi graphics game. I thought it was a color computer three game because it was just so colorful. It didn't look obviously like semi-graphics when I first played it. It just looked like a really cool, low-res, high-color game. Um, now when I look at it again and I look at the palettes and that kind of bright cyan, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, that's obviously semi-graphics. But first time I played it, I'm like, man, this is really cool Coco 3 low-res game, you know? So Yeah, 
this was also just, I wanted to try to, I was still going to stick with semi-graphics, but I wanted to use a, one of the higher modes of semi-graphics. I didn't want to use the old SG4. So of course I couldn't use text because I wanted it to run on all three versions of the color mm -hmm. computer. And so I just started off, made a, made a man that I could run with a few frames of animation and eventually just went in there, did a maze, did a maze, determined how I was going to determine what was a wall, what wasn't a wall and all this, the technical coding things. And it just kind of trying to mimic dark cavern, mostly because when I did that, I said, Hey, the robots in the Atari game look pretty much like the robots I came up with. Now in the Atari game, there's a spider that I couldn't get to look good within the constraints that I'd set myself. So I converted it to a spider, or I'm sorry, not to a snake. And then the blobs look quite a different, but they still in the Atari game, but I just used a ship, a bunch of colors and different things and kind of make them somewhat shimmer. Uh, like the Atari game, the bottom of the robots kind of rotate around to give it like there's some sort of motion to it. Um, one thing I liked about that game is, A, the robots could shoot at you even after you shot them, which I'm sure some people didn't enjoy that very much. <laughs> but that is straight from the from the inspiration game because you have you have to duck around corners or sneak up behind them. At least the at least with the initial robots that only sh shoot in the direction they're moving. Uh, later, you get the two-headed robots or two-faced, perhaps, where they'll shoot in front of where they're going and behind them. So those are harder to sneak up on. You got to do a lot more ducking around corners, putting as much distance between them as you can, so you can get out of their shot before uh, you end up uh, suffering the same fate they do. Um, I have to ask you, Ken. Um... I, I, like, I know you wanted to get some uh, higher semi-graphics. Was that partly inspired by the fact that Nick's cranked out a few and he's actually working on a third right now, kind of doing the similar thing where he wants to kind of push the Coco 1 and 2s? Yeah, I was definitely trying to rip Nick off. Okay, good. Did, you, <laughs> did, you, um, did you license, did you pay the proper licensing fees for the use of the semi-graphics mode to Nick Morantes? I oh, did, and I sent him. I sent him in a kangaroo, but I don't know if they've arrived. <laughs> it drowned on the way down. <laughs> I sent him on a boomerang, but somehow it came back. Well, I tied the kangaroo down, and it just didn't seem to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. you tied it down with one of those original first-gen mice that weighed so much, so it yeah. just sank to the bottom. Ken, is there something else coming for Christmas? Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> I have something yeah, else. Take, I might... How long did it take you to develop this, Ken? Just out of curiosity. Well, this Santa nightmare. This actually, I started it over a year ago and worked on it for a while to a point. Then it just kind of sat on the shelf for a while. I don't. I just got busy with other things, and I eventually decided I wanted to revisit it. So, and I was several months. So this took me a lot more time than than Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Thank you. <laughs> But, but it wasn't all it wasn't all together. I mean, sometime during the middle of the summer, I picked it back up in and got it from is, is the first date. And when I showed Jason it what, a long time ago, it just had it where the guy could run around the maze, the robots and stuff would run around the maze, but didn't have any collision detection or anything that I, I got to that point And I just, I just stopped. I don't know. I just got overwhelmed or busy or. Ran out, ran out of uh, inspiration. I guess I don't know. You know, oh, no. say writer's block. I we had, I had uh, what's hack block. 
Burnout. <laughs> Any yeah. others on the shelf? No, nothing's on the shelf. I have sort of idea one or one I might do another semi graphics, probably maybe another recreation of an of an M network game that can use most of uh, stuff that I came up with this and be similar. But if if that, that ever comes, I don't know if it'll come or not. And if that ever comes, then probably the one after that, I'll try doing something else, move up to a P mode three or something, or <laughs> work. Well, on that. I, this is a, a question I always bug Nick with here. Um, I'll bug you about it now too, since you're doing semi graphics games. Is there any any reason you didn't pick semi graphics twenty four to get a, a better vertical res? Was it just speed or RAM you wanted to fit it in a certain amount or? No, it just I didn't seem like I needed you know, any more lines in there. The the the, hey. the bummer about semi graphics is well not only that you got to make sure you only have a color in black in the in the byte for each two there the the two on each vertical line are pretty damn fat relative to the uh to the vertical thing so that's what really yeah. limits you on that but i didn't have a great reason i think i just picked 12 and stuck with it semi graphics 12 and stuck with it so yeah, I, I the reason I bring it up, and I'll, I, I've mentioned this, Nick, in private, is that the two best semi-graphics games I've seen on the Coco 1 and 2, uh, Protectors 2 and Guardian, both use an SG-24 style. And it, it, if you use, like, cross-hatching techniques and stuff, you can get some really, what looks like detailed graphics. It looks very close to a 2600. But I, I thought maybe speed, because, you know, you're having the amount of screen you have to move around and keep track of, so maybe that was part of the reason. I wasn't planning that far ahead. I just picked it and stuck <laughs> with it. And if I would thought I would have needed it, I probably would have gone back and redid it in SG24, but I didn't seem to. And it was good enough for the kind of graphics I was doing. That might have helped me with the uh, the spider and such to get a little bit better. But mostly a lot of the things that were limiting me was the uh, horizontal resolution, which yeah, they yeah. chunk yeah, me no matter what. You definitely have to design no that in what. mind. Yeah. Ken, are you going to give permission to this to to be ported to by Jerry to the uh, MC10? If he wants to port it to the MC10, <laughs> he can. Does the M- I don't think the MC10 supports higher semi graphics modes, does it? it oh, I, don't, I don't know. No, it does. It only Sam, supports so. up to 4K RAM. Right. He's he's magical. He can figure out something. No, he can't. But I, I thought these semi graphics 12 required the SAM and the VDG working together, and it the does. MC10 doesn't have a SAM. No. no. So that'll so be really could. tough for him. I was just well, going to make a comment. Have to re, uh, he'd have to redo it using uh, semi graphics four or six lower, or six. Yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was just going to make a comment. Being a uh, a Roger Moore 007 fan, I really appreciate your background, Ken. <laughs> and, well, ironically, you, I picked one from a Sean Connery movie. Sean, is that no? Isn't that Moonraker? No, that is You Only Live Twice. Are you sure? That's the Japanese uh, volcano. Oh, is it? It's my volcano layer. Oh, I thought that was the the lake or whatever that was metal. Mm. (laughs) Oh, I thought that was the Moonraker one where he opens up the cavern and then they go up there. No, Moonraker, they do take off on the shuttles, don't they? Yeah, you're right. You're right. I got my... uh, Got my 007s turned around. So crossed. He's right. And then my other my other comment is uh, the, the packaging and the and everything was really great. I re, I really enjoyed that. That was nice. Yeah, that's another thing I pretty much ripped off of Nick. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a little mini me there somewhere. Uh, yeah, oh. but I don't want to get the stream demonetized. That's so. Jason. So Nick, uh, you actually popped into the stream briefly there. Uh, 
as, as somebody who's done a lot of these, you know, semi-graphics types games before, what was your opinion of Ken's? I think this Ken is oh, your good. first higher semi-graphics game you've ever done, right? Yes. No, it's good. It had that. Uh, uh, it's good to see other people also using the semi-graphics mode. So it's got, you know, a few more, eight colors at least, bringing the color back to the color computer, uh, which I've been saying for a long time. Um, but it's not It's not just doing the game. He did the complete thing. He did the uh, title screen. He did the high score screen, uh, the instruction screen. All that flow is something that I was doing way back in the 80s, and I was inspired by back then on the TRS-80 Model 1, Big 5 software. Their, their software always stood out. It always had the polish, the whole game. It wasn't just a game. It had the title pages and everything, and they they uh, it went from one page to the other. It was packaged nicely. It looked like a commercial product. It was done well. Uh, that's what I've always liked about software. That's what always inspired me to do a nice commercial type looking pro- uh, product. And Ken's done uh, done the same. It's great. It's good to see that coming to the uh, the Coco. Yeah, there were a lot of a lot of really good games that then they kind of like high score or whatever they would look really bad. Yeah, and, and Ken's looks nice. And, and and having the eight colors, it, it helps. Yeah. And another reason to put semi-graphics is just with semi-graphics, there's going to be less memory to move around. I can get away with yeah, probably, yeah. I can get away with uh, much more inferior techniques and probably have a whole <laughs> lot of bad coding hidden by the fact that I didn't have to move that much. I don't have to try to figure out what the hell stack blasting is. <laughs> I can to do it. Or compiled uh, yeah. sprites, or Sprite. I, I usually don't drink Sprite. I usually just I got <laughs> Diet Sprite Coke. Zero. Well, it's it's a really good game. It's a fun game. I like the three D ish look you got on the walls by using a darker blue with a lighter blue on you know stacked diagonally. Like that, that actually gives it a bit of a three D look. Yeah, like depth. I wasn't necessarily going for a three D look, but I was just. I originally when I've done it, I just had it being solid. I think the cyan light blue, and I was like, well, it's fine, but it just was missing something. It looked too dull, so I just some a point tried this, the two different colors and cross hatch it, and I really like to look better. And I guess you are right; it does give it sort of a fake three D look. But I just was trying to get something that didn't look so. The other the other way with it just all being solid blue, it just looked heavy. And yeah, like, like when you complete a level, you actually flash it to that solid. So you can see right. what it would have looked like if you had left it that way. And I, I much prefer the, the look you actually ended up giving it. Yeah, I just thought it looked a lot better. So, You know, Coco Talk ought to come up with something to give uh, programmers when they do a star job, you know, like a star or some kind of a, you know. Uh, well, we let them star on the show, isn't oh, that? Oh, what Willie on the forehead <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like a, a Coco Talk trophy or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Badge of shame. Yeah. Somebody say like, <laughs> you get a trophy that says world's greatest grandma or something. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever special. you find in the garage. Because you know, look at Nick has had nothing but good things to say. Yeah, the bowling champion of 1974, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Well, that's, that's why I wanted to bring Nick into the conversation because well, he's been a professional games developer for decades. Oh, and he really liked your game. And he mentioned that on the stream last night after you left. So I wanted to make sure you heard that. 
uh, coming well, from somebody you. that knows what he's talking about. Uh, what uh, I'd like I'll to thank is all the people who've actually parted with you know, their own money to buy a, a copy of this. I mean, it's nice just that someone willing to spend, you know, five bucks or 10 bucks, depending on what you get for some of this. That's, and it's even and, better when they enjoy it afterwards. Although, well, not only that, but there was support because when uh, you said you had to, uh, you know, upload or go ahead and get uh, a newer version that was fixed, um, we only spent like four hours on the phone together, and it was not a big deal. No, just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't four hours. <laughs> uh, longer. I will longer. No, he outsources his tech support to India. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> hello, my name is Joe. Thank you for calling. Is it being wrong with your elephant? Personal experience, this game was worth every penny. That's right. <laughs> and the other, the other good thing as well is the way it was distributed as well. Uh, he had the uh, CD, uh, the full package version, which a collector could buy. But for other people, you can just download it for whatever it was. Was it, how much did it was the download? Five bucks or whatever. And it was online, and you know you paid for it, and you got it within 24 hours. So you didn't have that wait time. It was low cost. It was easy, but you also had a uh, commercial package for the collectors who want to see a, a nice box with artwork and all that. Well, actually, both because I have my shrink wrap, <laughs> uh, my shrink wrap one, and I got to play it too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wanted tried to. Call. to I wanted when to someone... call him and find out if he, he had uh, Y modem protocol. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to when somebody bought a, a physical version to go and send them the electronic version since they didn't have to wait for the post office and because they're being produced oh, on oh, demand oh. at Kanaki. So and and especially for but, Nick and and another person in Australia, they didn't get theirs for a month. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, the CD that sounds took like a something month, else yeah. you stole yeah, from yeah. Nick. What else did I steal from Nick, Jason? Sending the image uh, after buying the after someone bought the physical copy. Oh yes, yes, yes. Very cool. I am just ripping Nick off. If I could do an Australian accent, I just let's <laughs> have to do. Rocky. You just Maybe you should Rocky. start calling all your products by um, by Australian names. That would be a real rip off. Oh wait, somebody else already <laughs> does hey, hey, that's my bit. Crocky. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you, somebody could start with like a Czechoslovakian thing. How many things do they have? I, well, nothing really, do they? <laughs> I really enjoy doing it. It was It's strange. I'm programming Cocoa stuff on assembly language, and I'm finding that sometimes soothing. I, it, it's, that's <laughs> that not stressful. A real programmer. <laughs> it, was, it was something that was, I was stressed out about things, and I was programming assembly language, and that was calming me down, which... I thought didn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm pretty happy with the way this turned out, except for the bugs that were found after I'd sent it off that I was. Well, Nick, Nick's had that too on occasion. I mean, everybody has, I've, I've done that. As I well, never so. have bugs. <laughs> <laughs> or none that so, I mentioned. I just you, felt dumb that I didn't, this in the edge case, I should have thought the tests and I just didn't. Don't you work together with your brother? Like, doesn't he do bug control and all that? You don't regularly score over 9,000 points on these games? <laughs> uh, I have never scored 9,000. 9, I think the 5,000, that was my best score ever, I think. 
except for ones where I set the score higher. Yeah, to first start when he was going testing. over the list, and I saw you in there, I'm like, well, that's kind of a ringer if the guy who made the game has the best score, you know. But uh, luckily, you weren't. Well, you were in the middle, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that I needed a sandbag to keep suspicion down. <laughs> but like another thing i'm ripping off from nick i'm not necessarily that good at the game i wrote so <laughs> yeah that's a sign but here think, but i think this one came out i thought it works a lot i thought a lot better than my previous effort even though i thought i was happy with that i think this is better i mean it's a different yeah, next game. one your next one will be better again yes if only, they, did, if only start, I did this 30 years ago. Worse, it's when it's time to yep. get a new hobby. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. unlike Nick, you plan on keep improving. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they say, the best laid plans, you know. So I guess uh, as the author, are there any strategies that you think uh, are worth talking about? I know we had a few suggestions on the stream last night, including a few I never thought of. Well, Don't die. I'm, Don't die. Don't yeah. die. Definitely. Well, the main strategy is for the definitely for the single head robots or the single. Do your best to sneak up behind them and shoot them from behind. That is the best strategy for that. Don't if you go and straight at them, you you might get them, but they still can get off that shot while they're dying, which is annoying. Right. <laughs> um, and also, you just you can't just go in and shoot. You have to spend a lot of time ducking around corners seeing where you can find if you find a long passageway that you can anticipate where the robot's going to go and shoot and the yeah, robots that's, that's do more change. my strategy so it's mostly ducking around corners long the robots they either and it, it changes level to level either go just randomly traverse through the maze and as you get a little bit further on they start having certain more robots will actually track you either where you are or the square in front or the square in front or behind you or something like that kind of pac-man like just to get that change the the the, the monsters always go the, the snake and the blob they're always just randomly going around the maze which is amazing they really cause more trouble than you think just randomly going around the maze because when i hate the blob because you know well, the worst thing to do is be out of bullets and have be waiting for the ammo box to come so you can get your more bullets so that's one of the things you can do is if you get killed and you don't have a lot of bullets and a lot of bullets, just stay in the home thing until the ammo box comes so you can go straight and get more bullets. No, you don't, you're not forced out in any time. You can stay there forever. So that's that the pause be, function. That is that is the pseudo pause that I that I <laughs> deliberately put in. Uh or or not. So those are kind of my hints or tips. I'm I'm really interested in to see that what other people came up with because obviously some people are a lot better at it than i am other than just be fast don't die and that so those <laughs> the, are my the long hallway like uh waiting like waiting for a robot to come around the corner at the end of a hallway you're at the opposite end yeah. and you fire the shot even before they get there so it takes time to traverse cross street and then you duck into the side that's that was what i did yeah that's a lot what i would do especially on the fourth maze has one really long hallway that you can really exploit that on yeah. yeah, that's some of the differences from the Atari game. It had one maze and it just just started and you never left the maze. I wanted after a while I said I need more variety in this. This is too too much of a rip off of the game. So I said, well, you need some way to make it so you get another maze. Well, the obvious one is how many robots have you killed? And then I originally started with, okay, you killed the last robot and now you flick and go to another maze. And that just 
I didn't like that. It just was too abrupt. Didn't do it. So that's when I came up. Well, I need that. Once you shoot so many robots, then a escape hatch will go so you can fall down into the next level. And so once that, and then I was able to do the little animation that <laughs> the interstitial graphics as you fall into the next level. So that was, that was the main flourish there. It's not exactly, it's not exactly Donkey Kong, in her, but you know. And there, there's six mazes in the game, right? Four. Four? Okay. There are four mazes. They just keep repeating over and over again. After after level twenty, if you could get that far, and and I have tested it because setting it to start at, at the high levels and setting the number of robots down low, then the maze just disappears and you can become and just invisible. So you'd have to traverse the maze invisible and without being able to see the maze walls. So and you can oh, of course be a bugger. I never got near that. And you can you can do that if you want because if you look at the bottom of the manual where the secrets that I really shouldn't be telling anybody is. Is that if you when you're on the menu screens, if you press one, well, that just starts you in the normal version of at level one. You press two, you can start at level six. Press three, you can start at level eleven, and four, you can start at level sixteen. And then if you press the the five on the keyboard, it'll turn the maze, make the mazes invisible. And if you press six, you'll make them visible again. So you can play with these things in the in the secretly off the secret menu. That's as secret as the in and out menu now. So, so basically you can make it harder. You can, <laughs> I don't know if that's an advantage or not, but it's there. <laughs> I'm also curious, uh, Ken, for your, yourself there. Like I know talking to people on the stream there, cause I was playing on keyboard controls cause you have both keyboard and joystick. And I found that a little bit easier for me to control just probably cause I'm more used to that style of game on a keyboard. Um, but it looks like everybody else in the stream is playing on joystick. What's, what's your preferred method? Keyboard. Oh, good. It's keyboard, mostly because that's what I played it for a while, where I just had keyboard controls. I was always planning on adding joystick controls, but I was building on my laptop and, and testing it in VCC, so it's much easier just to use the keyboard controls. In fact, the keypad on the on the uh, laptop is much easier to use than even the Coco one. Even well, I don't know. I didn't have a Coco two to try for that one. I don't know if that that works but even on the coco 3 i did let you use the uh the left and right keys and the alt and control for up and down too to make it more similar to the coco 2 keyboard if you wanted i like that yeah so i tried to live options and for the joystick uh i felt lame but i just used the rom routine to read the joystick <laughs> i gotta figure figure out how to do it timing more to get it more uh, I was using the D-pad on the on a well VCC and using the D-pad on a controller, which worked good because I could let go of the D-pad so it instantly centered, and then I could turn the corner much more simply than if I tried to just drive myself around the corner. I kept running, you know, turning too quickly, or I'm not sure what I did wrong. But the keyboard, same way, you could let off all the keys and you were centered, where the joystick, you weren't really until you got back over to a centered position, you know, it, I just fumbled yeah. a lot. Yeah. I think the, but how I program the joystick controls probably could use another more refinement, but it, it works well enough, but there's, I don't know. I haven't used it as much. I, I thought it works fine, but it's, I prefer the keyboard on this. It gives you just quicker. More control. Well, somebody somebody digital, on the stream last night was saying that they're playing with an Atari joystick through a converter and it was working really well. Yeah, I think that would be better. 
just like you know what uh, Nick talking about. I think for Pop Star Pilot, how he originally had just were using a D pad or a Atari type joystick, and eventually had to change the programming to help the people who are using you know the deluxe joystick or the Black Beauties have some sort of chance to be able to play the game. <laughs> I still can't play that game for anything, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> also, a bit of an aside here, but I just wanted to do a shout out to, I think it's Sako Paco. Uh, first time chat in our Twitch. He says, greetings from Spain. I'm not a Coco fan, but Dragon32, I listen to your stream time to time. Good job. Regards. So Hola. Thanks. thanks for listening. Cool. Gracias. You know, one thing this game... A lot of the games that we play on the Game on Challenge, if we played the same game six months later, everyone would get about the same score. This is one of those games, if we played it again six months from now, I would do much better because I would know how these stupid robots work. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I had six months to practice, I might do better. Exactly. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> While we're talking about this, I'm just going to show some footage from last night. So, yeah. What were some other people's tips, hints, and tips? Things I haven't even thought of. So. The long hallway ducking is the only one I really. It is aptly named. Don't run out of bullets. Yeah, right yeah that's what bullets. happened to me right off the bat. I I blew my uh, bullet wad right real quickly. And yeah, running out of bullets can be very bad and such in a really vicious cycle, especially if. Uh, the ammo bin appears like on the opposite side of the maze from where you are, where you have to race to get there. And maybe you get there in time. Maybe you get shot or that damn snake gets you. And now you're stuck. And by the time you get to move again, <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. Go ahead and share again. I've got a, yeah, my computer's so. acting up on me. So yeah. The good thing I, about I just tied Rondovo's score of three hundred. I just tried it back here in my cook. <laughs> awesome. Did you use keyboard or joystick? Though? I couldn't figure out how to get the joystick to work. I'm on a switcheroo product, and I couldn't figure out how to get it to go. So, but on keyboard, I did really badly. Left joystick, push the button, then it goes. I, I do like the fact that he also put in like you could use the four arrow keys, which are nicely situated on a Coco 1 or 2 keyboard, but you had the option of using Alt-Control on a Coco 3 keyboard, so you can still have the two hands controlling your, your two axes of direction. Yeah, I figured if I didn't, you'd complain. I would. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's a fun I, game. I, I have to say that the game was uh, just frustrating enough that it kept you coming back, not so frustrating that you just rage quit, so... Yeah, you would improve like once you start figuring out like you know ducking in hallways and stuff like that works and yeah, you can't just run straight at them. It that, yeah. that doesn't work. Well, you it's, can. It's, it's but kind you of a die. stealth. Well, you can. It's a bit of a stealth game in some ways. Yeah, and the Atari game plays similar similarly. So I, I, that's what I liked about it. I think and that's why I chose that as a basis for what I was doing. It's a Easy. lot harder than Night Stalker. Yeah, that's well. It's uh, similar strategy to Night. Or yeah, Nightwalker, but it looks more complex. Well, like I was saying, Dark Cavern and the Atari, even though it's kind of the version of Night Stalker, it plays a good bit differently. Than it's Stalker. more of an homage than a, a clone yeah. of Night Stalker. I assume they just decided they couldn't do it on there, so they just did something similar. 
And I, nobody here said the same thing in the, on my game and on their game. The robots look like wrenches or, I guess, spanners to some of our friends. <laughs> in fact, why is it called a spanner? I don't, I don't understand. What is it spanning? You can span the wrench open to clamp onto. Uh... Yeah. But you're, wrenching, across the nut. but you're wrenching the bolt out. Yeah, but you're you're opening, you're spanning it open to the right size. That's only if you have an adjustable spanner. But if you have a regular fixed size spanner, then it's a fixed size that it spans. <laughs> and it's spanned open to a fixed size. Alrighty then. Why the hell are we talking about this? <laughs> so we can spare this another two hundred years. <laughs> Sounds like okay. Sixie and Wayland need to fill us in. U.S. customers stream. U.S. customers. Cut the F. Customary versus metric. Go. <laughs> no, what 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 Wentworth? Wentworth. What? Yes. Wentworth, yes. The the British Whoa. thing that nobody uses. <laughs> well, my 64 Dotson pickup did with his 1200 cc engine. Anyways, I do have to say that this game definitely had a good turnout for the uh game on challenge and for the live stream too. At times we had up to six people playing at once, so that's a yeah. It was too bad Ken Ken was actually on the call very early on, but he actually yeah. you know he, he had to go eat or something. Well, fortunately, he left before you and uh, Nick started praising him so much because otherwise he would have been demanding money to be on today's show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I would have just got embarrassed or, or suspicious if someone praises me too much. <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I think from what I understand, a lot of people had a lot of fun playing this game. Um, well, it looks like I avoided the sophomore slump for this. So no, it's, nice. it's a well done game. It's, it's fun. It's, it's quite challenging until you start figuring out some of the little <clears throat> ways you can actually not get shot killing a robot. And, and then you kind of know that you can get you better. So you keep going at it. So, but it's still challenging even when you figure out those ways. Yeah, but I, I did feel I was improving. I mean, I did make it up yeah. to level six at one point near the end of the streams, which you know was doubling how far I'd gotten previous to that. So you you get that rush, like, oh, I made it further. I know I can get even even better now that I'm kind of figuring it out. Wait, you you mean there's stuff past level three? Yeah, I made it to level six. <laughs> it will, in theory, go on to level ninety nine. But have you tested that, what happens when you wrap that? Uh I have. It just goes back to 99 again. I, that, oh, okay. was a, that was an edge condition I did manage to test, although I figured no one was <laughs> going to get there. And you had a lot of zeros in the score with uh, hopes that people were going to get some pretty high scores. Uh, maybe that's just a teaser. Maybe it's just easier to put a bunch of zeros in instead they of trying to They could get to up to 99,999,999 before they wrap the score. Yeah, beer is bottles if of beer worked. on the wall. 99,900 <laughs> bottles of beer. Yeah. And of course, in the tradition of most great games, the last two digits of the score are dummies. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make things more impressive. Have you tested to see what happens if you get over uh, 100,000 now? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. So it should work on a hundred thousand. Yeah, it works just like the other bit. So, it, which is it's the same loop of code, so that works fine. Uh, and the yeah, other thing to know is that the uh, we haven't talked about is that you know uh, another key to scoring is to get robots in succession before the new ones come out because 
you start shoot the purple ones, they the remainders turn orange and become worth 200 points. And when there's more that you start, you know, the, the yellows are 400 mm -hmm. points. And when you have four robots and then you have to get all of them, the last one's green worth 800 points and you get an extra man. So also, great. something something that people actually did discover, too, is that you can't just farm robots in this game because once you kill the number of robots you need, you don't get any more points. So, <laughs> yes, right. yes, I, I thought of that one. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but I still make you go out there that you can farm bullets, though, in that condition if you want. Because you can keep collecting bullets until you want to go to the next level. You get your 99. Up to 99 bullets. And it's good that, uh, you did all the the numbers and the letters are all drawn in graphics so therefore the game works on a coco's well every coco even yeah, the uh, coco three yes that's that's i want to do that so you know i don't see the point in making something that doesn't now that doesn't run on all three yeah but has it been ported to the dragon 32 yet yeah, um, or the dragon work. 64 it should there work. was another there was a guy who was it? Oh, what is his name on Facebook? Who was doing it and was asking some, some help on it? And I was trying to do it because the main thing that need to be done at first is obviously the keyboard needs remapping. So you have to change the routines where it accesses the keyboard since the matrix is different on the dragon. And also then you, the scoring saving would have to be different because the dragon uses a totally different DOS. But when I was trying to do it, just do it on my own and get it, just running in uh, XROAR, I was getting nothing but a blank screen. So I was doing something wrong. So I'd like to get it ported for the Dragon, but apparently I'm too stupid or something. I got to, I know the the one guy, I can't, I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head. He was, had it, said he had it running under the Dragon without the, the high score saving, which might not be relevant with the Dragon anyways, because I, I know there was a DOS, but you know, in in the UK, I guess mostly they didn't get past tape at any point. Yeah, and the DOS is very different than ours. Yeah. It's actually better. <laughs> I'm sure it is, but the DOS was, you know, our disk extended basic was simple enough that it it doesn't use half of the uh, the menu track track 17. So I was just able to store the uh, high score stuff on some unused sector of seven track 17 i didn't have to worry about anybody saving over it or anything well actually you you do have to have an upgraded dos like a ados or something because it will use those extra sectors on track 17 to fill out directories so just a warning to people that are running like an ados with an 80 track disc or something like that then uh oh, yeah. maybe this, keep this one on a separate disc by itself yeah this that yeah i don't know about those ones but yeah for this extended basic what do people normally do with that? Do you just have to write a routine that checks the, uh, the reads the uh, directory folders to see where you can put something, or because you, you know, for the bigger disks? Well, or just in general when you're saving stuff to disks from assembling. So I was just using the discon that all basically was read yeah, or write from raw a sector. Rewrite sector, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and if you wanted to, I suppose you could go read your way through the uh, directories and the granule. Yeah, table. you pretty well have to parse it yourself because there's no calls, legal quote unquote calls in, in Disk Basic to uh, you know open a file as opposed to the disk itself. Um, so you have to basically you know write your own routines to traverse through it, or you can do direct ROM calls, but then you're worried about a 1.0 versus a 1.1 versus an ADOS versus a CDOS versus you know all the different 
DOSs we had back then. That's why I went to Nitrous 9, actually, because I don't have to worry about any of that crap. <laughs> say, wouldn't that be a lot easier in OS 9? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it would be, but yeah, I, that's where I just saw that standard disk basic, it just, it didn't use those sectors. So I said, oh, well, I'll just put them yeah. here. But yeah. yeah, no, as long as you're, you're running using, a 35 you're track all... disk, you're fine. Or yeah, even a 40 you're... track probably would be safe. But if you're running an 80 track with extended ADOS 3 or ADOS 3 or or some of the other ones that did support 80 track, I think one of the JDOS, uh, what is it? Um, CDOS, whatever JDOS called it, I can't remember. But yeah, a few of those did use the entire track 17 to do like 158 granules on a disk type thing. And those you would have problems with, but as long as people know ahead of time, that's, that's a, no problem. If you create a 35 track image, it'll know to keep it 35 tracks. So just yeah. run it that way. Most people have a Coco SDC anyway. Oh yeah, yeah there's that. Yeah. That's why I don't even try to distribute <clears throat> them on actual disks or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, another reason, another reason for doing this game is I was just getting sick and tired of hearing about Petsky robots. So <laughs> <laughs> I made my own semi ripoff. Yeah, and I Jay and I'll get back his, to that eventually. We made it onto his uh, onto his video where he's where he panned past Jason Stavo, where this had prominent display. So for so millions of people could see it and not know what the heck it was or care. So. <laughs> so is is sloopy on the call right now uh i think he is but i'm not sure oh, did he want to say anything <laughs> about the game on challenge last night like uh, an announcement for next week yeah that probably would be a good idea don't we have a draw <laughs> don't we have some sort of drawing we do have a draw i'm going to do the draw right after sloopy talks about uh our game on playing last night well, I think we pretty much all covered all the game one uh, uh, related stuff, except for one small little thing. Um, well, actually, two things. Ken, I wanted to say, good game. I like it. Um, but uh, starting next week, we are going to be going back to Thursday nights for the game on Challenge Live uh, at 8 p.m. So mark your calendar. Stevie time. 8 p.m. Stevie time. Yes, 8 p.m. Stevie time. So mark Eastern your for normal people. Yeah, mark your calendars, October 13th, 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time uh, is when the Game On Challenge will be next week. And it will be on Thursdays for now until the foreseeable future or until the FCC realizes that we shouldn't be on the air. You got a yay Thursday again for Mikey in the chat. Cool. So that and means yay for me too! It'll make my Friday night so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think you guys had mentioned like I kind of asked like why it was changing. It sounds like there had been some requests from people who said they couldn't do it on Friday, but then those people never showed up to the game on challenge anyway. So it right. didn't it didn't help them yeah, or you. Fri Friday night is a lot more difficult for me and Sloopy, and people wanted it because they said then they it would be easier for them to make it. And well, they never showed up, so. They didn't yeah, say they would show better up. Better make it easier for the hosts then in that case. Yeah, we're just going to go to make it easier for the hosts. Yeah, yeah like, since the people we made it easier for didn't show up, if so if it's not going to be easy for anyone, then we're going to make it easy for us. Yeah. <laughs> also, then it doesn't conflict with me watching the Amigos on the same night, so that works good. Yeah, the only thing... Oh, then definitely we need to leave it on Friday then. <laughs> well the thing is like no, Aaron was doing all of his Septandy Coco streams at the exact same time you guys were doing Game on Challenge I was like watching both yeah trying to keep track of everything it was it was a bit of a mess so 
Yeah, because uh, one of the other things that was um, that uh, was mentioned was it was also the same time as the uh, Glenside Cocoa meetings um, on Thursdays. Because yeah, those are only growing. once a month, though. And have, yeah. have they moved theirs, too? I can't remember now. No, they they were last night or all night before last. Uh, they're still on Thursdays. So because there was like one or two people that mentioned that. um, That they couldn't come because they were on they were doing that. And, and I usually like to show up for that, but <laughs> I haven't. I keep forgetting <laughs> myself. <laughs> Blue even though some I, of your equipment's on fire, even though I was the officially the uh, uh, the representation for the Glenside uh, Cocoa Club at the Tandy Assembly, I still <laughs> wasn't able to uh, uh, attend the meetings. So, all right, um, yeah, that's that's all I really need to uh, say is uh, make sure you uh, come join us on Thursday next week. And back to you, Ken. All right. Well, with that out of the way, we promised a draw for all of the participants. Oh, and I just got a note that Mr. Dave may be joining us. So, <laughs> but uh, may not. what we are going to be drawing for is an exclusive cartridge version of, ah, uh, what was the game that the, the cartridge was again? Oh, oh yeah. Robot Nightmare. Donkey King. <laughs> so it's an exclusive cartridge version of uh robot nightmare made Code by Code mr nightmare. dave 6309 and uh with the bugs included uh, well, that's not, why he, that's why he's not here he has to fix everything again for the second is, time or the third time it's like oh man patch versions well i will I go ahead to, uh, i'm gonna I, go ahead and play the uh video that uh is the result the draw results because he did this ahead of time because since he didn't think he was going to be on here and if he's on here afterwards he can talk about the cartridge hey what were you going to say slippy darn whose leg do i have to hump to get a uh get into that drawing uh, you have to uh put in a first you have to yesterday. invent a time machine to go back to when the draw was actually made <laughs> ah I think Actually, Slippy, before. you are part of the draw because you submitted a score last night. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. Okay. So where do we get the patches for Robot Nightmare anyway? Share. I they got should have been email. They should have been share. emailed to you. Ah, okay. If then you I didn't get an email, one. let me know and I that's will make sure I, to get them. That's how I was able to play. All right. Yep. Drum roll now. Here is the results video. It is 44 seconds long, so. my name wrong yeah my last <laughs> name is l not b <laughs> so congratulations to chris b for uh yeah you you win so uh 
So is he, he uh, do you, does he have to get contact information for you guys? Yeah. Like- um, uh, Mr. Dave will have to get contact uh, where to send the cartridge from him. So uh, somehow we'll connect over Discord because, of course, everybody that participated is members of Discord. So it's easy to get a hold of them. Yeah, I may not be the winner, but I do have a sealed original copy of Robot Nightmare. So I'm happy. I have a used original copy of Robot Nightmare (laughs) (laughs) that has the bug on it that probably will never be seen on this copy because I will never make 10,000 points. The only way I will open this is if I get it signed. There you go. I think it's signed the plastic. Or yeah, just yeah, put, a, put, a white, put, a, put a blank white sticker on the front and get them to sign that, and then you don't have to yeah. open it. You really want to kill the value. Absolutely. <laughs> I you want my copy for, of like a signed check from Ken. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, you bought I'm it for $10. <laughs> it's now worth 5 With his signature, it's worth 2 Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the only thing that'll be worth less is uh, the blob of solder that uh, melted uh, Curtis's uh, hair. From the soldering iron. Here's how to make it worth less. (laughs) Oh, good grief. You have a problem, sir. It's a bundle. (laughs) Here, I'll give you this blob of solder uh, for for both of them. Thank you, overpaid. How about this little chip chip? Yeah, this this actually burned me. and It was on my arm. Oh, nice. You got some hairs in it to prove DNA? Solder uh, talk is brought to you by. I have I have a, a, a clear patch on my arm where it was. All right. I, I mean, congratulations call... to Crispy. Yes. Uh, get your contact information to uh, Mr. Dave uh, through our okay. Discord, I guess. Or does he have an email address he wants to go to? Or? Uh, Discord. I think just private chat on Discord can do it. Um, yeah, con- congratulations. I'll Congratulations to Chris. I've seen video of the cartridge, and it's very cool because it has LEDs that blink. When you shoot, and I think when you get killed, it's very, very cool looking. I hope you enjoy it. I'm jealous. How how big is the uh, actual uh, executable? It's about 19K. Ah. Uh, I, I I might have been able to squeeze it in the, small, in the smaller, but I, if, I just didn't try. If it's 19K, would that work in a Cocoa 1 and 2? Because doesn't that only allow 16K ROM space? I don't oh, think I, he really does. He doesn't really do ROMs on it. He said he yeah. does something that actually copies it into memory. Yeah, oh, okay. he actually. Yeah, he actually uh, has a small program that actually loads first, and it copies the 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 program where it would normally load RAM. off disk or tape. Then yeah, it, oh, okay. It I, I, I was just curious. I, I thought maybe this is a Coco three only cartridge. Yeah, that's one of the first things mm-hmm. I asked him as well. I said, "Well, these this isn't in the right uh, address space." <laughs> And what we have to do to move it, but he said no. It just, he just has something that loads it into memory, just basically a drive emulator in some case, I guess. I don't know what we'll that let him just talk about. It's it some of his sometime. wizardry. Yes, he's a wizard. He's a wizard. He's a wizard, Harry. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, I'm really hyped up. What's the game next week, Ken? Oh, okay. Well, would you like to see this screen then? Um, let's see. Uh, there. You're being stalked, uh, Ken. Yeah, I know. That's my coffee coming I, in. I sense a theme with an upcoming quote-unquote holiday. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Does anybody know this game? Oh, yes, I, I do. Don't know. Donkey King. Bang Man. Right no, company, wrong game. Donkey King. <laughs> Color scripts it. 
Exactly. It is color script set. I love color script set. It's my man. favorite. I'm team. Color and a prize goes to Alan for getting that one correct. <laughs> the yes, Coco game I... with the worst puns ever or best puns, depending on your point of view. So here is the title. I'll stake my life on it. So this that... is a fully legal, downloadable, copy it yourself. David Crandall gave me permission for that years and years ago when he sent me some of the, the original discs, actually. So, yes, you can actually get it on Curtis's site or Woo-hoo! from the normal places. So so I don't have to go to the dark web to get it? No, you do not. And you don't have to buy bootleg copies off of Mr. Dave 6309 on cartridge. Oh, cool. Yeah. Coco and 1 and 2 games, enough. 16K on cassette, I think 32K on disc, depending on what versions you have. Works Coco 1, 2, or 3. Definitely likes and artifact this- colors. So if you, <laughs> you have RGB only, you might have a bit of an issue there. And this is uh, a actually uh, suggested by Mr. Dave 6309. And in oh, full disclosure, he actually suggested this game last year for Halloween, but I completely forgot. <laughs> now, um, there's you can start on different levels. So you want everybody starting on level one, I presume? Yes. Okay. And you probably should explain a little bit of the gameplay because some of it's not obvious. And uh, unless, like, is the manual up on the archive? I didn't get a chance to check. I- believe it is if it is then just read the manual but if it's not then we'll have to explain a couple of things that because i've seen other people play cold and there's some certain things you need to know or you're gonna really really suck yeah i've only played it cold so i'm not the best person to actually say but let's see fangman manual you do uh give a little rundown on your site i learned more from your site than i uh actually knew from trying to play the game so Uh, no, the Fangman is not up there, so. Okay, so a bit of an explanation. Do you have a screenshot we can just throw up just so I can explain some of the features here? Okay, let me just share that again. Requires a joystick. (laughs) That's number one. Okay, so you're you're the uh, the Dracula creature in the lower right corner of the screenshot. I basically just wander around the joystick. Um, your goal is to get the humans traps. So you can run over them. You can do that if it's a dead end alcove where you can kind of maneuver because they will run away from you if you run straight at them. Um, or you can get them between you and a bat. The bat are your helpers and they will try to herd the humans. No, neither you nor the bat can normally go through crosses. So a cross will block a bat. If you run over a cross normally, though, it will kill you. So don't do that. You also have a roving sun, which is that orange and blue circlish thing in the upper left area. And that will go through anything and kill you if you cut in contact. And it will track you if it has a line of sight on you. Um, so you can kind of maneuver around corners to kind of throw it off. Now, it will destroy crosses as it's going through. So you can actually get rid of some of them if you actually steer the sun in that way. Crosses are created when, ironically enough, two humans cross paths. And it will create that. Um, you, you can also create extra coffins if two bats cross each other's path i think it is and that's just worth bonus points um you do have a little power-up thing if you hold down the joystick button you will invert your your dracula uh sprite and then you can run over and destroy three crosses on your own but you can only use that once per level and that's the one critical thing that most people miss so you can actually try to get things but basically you basically are working with the bats to herd humans either to get the bat chasing it straight into you or into a little dead end where they can't get out of avoid the sun etc so and as you go through the different levels you will get more and more humans that you have to kill you'll get more bad helpers etc too so 
Um, it's a it's a really fun game, and and be forewarned, the puns are pretty horrible, but they're they're kind of amusing. And you get a different one for each of the first so many levels, and it repeats. Hopefully, that's enough of an explanation. The the, the power up though was the one that most people miss. They just try to do the hurting thing, and they just keep dying. And if you need a recap of that, you can look at Curtis's uh, game site, and he does have the that yeah. uh, written down. I, I will mention, too, that once you kind of get a mastery of the game, it becomes quite easy, and you can pretty well go on forever. I think Allison Deneu had played this once uh, on a live stream, and she ended up getting like 250,000 points, some insane amount that took like an hour and a half to play. So it's, it's so one that you can master. something great from Buck Owens. Yeah. You you can master this game. This is a game that you can become pretty well invincible if you if you practice enough. Were there any bugs in the scoring? <laughs> I haven't ran it that long to find out. Uh, well, maybe let Buck do that. <laughs> no, but there's humans in the scoring. It's it's a it's a fun game and it's cute. I, I really like it. It's it's one that I always bring up for Halloween. And now we've got a competitor. We've got Christmas Rush. I'm covering the game on news here, but there's a Christmas Rush Halloween edition from Paul Shoemaker. So. Ooh. I think you meant Ghost Rush Halloween. Oh, sorry. Rush. Yeah. What did I say? Christmas, Christmas Rush. Rush. Oh, that's next couple months. <laughs> You're already in Christmas mode, Curtis? He's just no, that's Christmas the thing. That is the, gro- or Christmas the uh, stores. The nightmare before Christmas. I'm the Scrooge of Christmas, is what I normally would be. So, no. Yeah, Christmas Rush is November 23rd. Uh, Christmas Rush is December 24th. Yeah. (laughs) That's when I start my shopping. Me too. Good game. Works in the Cocoa One, two, or three. I think there was an official version for the Dragon, if I remember correctly. So, that Dragon people can join in on this one too, as well. And uh, you can play it on just straight composite. Or uh, RGB on a Coco 3. Uh, the changing of the color of the Dracula character inverts, and that works on both. The sun will look a little stripy, but other than that, it actually mostly is designed as a P-Mode 4 game, so it actually will play fine on a Dragon as well and won't look like complete crap. All right, well, that is everything I have to say about uh, what segment. Oh, yeah, Game on Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> And Mark, so, I think thanks. we should probably do a commercial break before we go into even the game yep. on news because we've been going for a couple of hours. So just want to say a big thanks to Ken for that game. It was a lot of fun and yeah. one that yeah, well, be... done, well done game, Ken. And when Nick Mirandis is praising you, he's either looking for money or he's being honest. Well, I'll let well, you decide I, which. Thanks everyone. The 50, the 50 bucks came in the mail. Uh, they came. <laughs> You're welcome, mate. <laughs> well, I'd just like to thank everyone who parted with a little hard-earned cash to uh to send me for the work i did on it and i hope everybody enjoyed it even if they got shot by the robots instantly and now you've got uh uh, really got to try hard for the next one to top it yep i have nowhere to go but down (laughs) i expect i expect many more bugs in your next game since you kind of started a trend here so (laughs) i I think i can handle that Now that hits everybody, so. Break the commercial. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models. 
including the original color computer, the Coloco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French computer, Radio Shack. Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Boat and Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebge, Grant B., Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style, Ken Reichert, Malfunct, Melly, Michael Pitsley, Mike Rayburn, O.G. Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Josh KJ7CIKE says, I'm Joshua, KJ7CIK. I'm a licensed Tim radio operator and commercial truck driver. I was raised around computers since an early age and became enamored by them and other forms of technology. I didn't start collecting until 2018 but I've since gathered quite the collection of computers from companies such as Commodore, Tandy, IBM, Atari and many more. I don't have a particular preference for brand but I do have nearly every 8-bit Commodore so that's one focus. I joined this group due to my growing Tandy collection including a Model 1, 2, and 3 as well as a broken Coco 2. I hope to glean information from the gurus in here regarding my various Tandy machines and look forward to repairing them. Nato42 says. My name is Chris and I am into all forms of retro computers. I own most of the common 8-bit consumer machines, 64, VIC-20, Apple IIe, Atari 800XL, and many more. I own a Coco 3 hooked up to a LCD panel with a switcheroo. I also use a Coco SDC. I am into exploring the capabilities of these retro machines, retro programming, learning the history and playing games. I discovered the Coco 3 while attending VCF Midwest in 2019 and OG Stevie Stroh had a table set up with a Coco 3 running Nitro S9. I watch parts of Coco talk from time to time on YouTube and this community is fun and vibrant and I hope to learn more about the Coco. I plan on going to Coco Fest next April for the first time. A cooker says. Hello all. I'm Tony, one of the maintainers of the Raw SCSI Reloaded Open Source Project, www.rasc.com. I'm joining to learn more about Cocos. I've been an Apple fanboy for my whole life, starting with an Apple II clone. I tracked this channel down after hearing about it from Homer KM. Hopefully you'll let me join to hang out with you. The previous bios were edited for time, thanks to, Boys in Tech, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Nightbeard, Glenside Computer Club and the Coco Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord!
Take it away, Curtis. Yeah, I'm just uh, quickly changing a few things here. Apparently, when I brought up my machine and it brought all the tabs back, it reordered them all on me. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna get it roughly and right. I know my Zoom view is a little funky today. Okay, I've lost track of which one I'm on. Hey, you guys seen that? Yep. Yep. Okay, so speaking of uh, Halloween-themed games like our feature game, uh, our first one is uh, Ghost Rush, not what I called it before. And actually, uh, Paul has released two new versions of it. So we we demoed the Cocoa 3 version last time, and it's a free download on Facebook, and I assume it's on the archive soon if it's not already. But he also has gone back and done a Cocoa 1 and 2 version using artifact colors, which I'll show here. It's got the little animations, and it's 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 very similar to the Cocoa 3 one, but using the artifact colors, of course. And the twisted music. Well, on the whole, I think the artifact colors actually work fairly well for this game. Yeah, yeah, now they look good. And of course, the game plays is, is basically the same as the original Ghost, except with new shapes. So you've got bats and you've got spider webs in the background. You've got a kind of a Pac-Man style pumpkin. Not sure what that bonus shape particularly is, but. I like it. There's the uh, the Pac-Man you got to dodge, which is a pumpkin. Anyway, so that's up for release. So those of you who saw the Coca-3 version and only have a Coca-1 or 2 at home, you can now grab that version. It's available for download on Facebook. And then uh, just yesterday, I think it was actually, he released a Dragon-specific version of it as well. Now, Dragon does not have artifact colors, so he had to go with one of the you know two PMO3 color sets, and thank God he didn't pick the pastel one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still got like you know the you know the Halloween backgrounds you know on the title screen, et cetera. Here, the little witch hat on the on the Pac-Man, et cetera. And uh, this is also uh, going to be the official game. <clears throat> excuse me, the official game for the Dragon Meetup that's happening in a few weeks' time, which we're going to be trying to actually broadcast from live at the beginning of the show, uh, the date of the actual show itself, which will be coming up in the regular news. So they had already picked Ghost Rush as being kind of the the marquee game they're going to use for doing some high-score competitions of their own at the show. And uh, when they found out about the uh, Halloween edition of it, uh, they were asking, is a Dragon version? I contacted Paul, and he said, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. So it's actually out now. So they will be. this is the exact version they'll be playing. At, at the Dragon Meetup, which is actually in Wales, the home of the Dragon, and instead of at the Computer Museum, normally in Cambridge. Do you so, see the Dragon in the bottom corner? Yeah, the Dragon logo over here. Yeah, yeah it looks pretty cool. Yeah, no, he did a really good job on this. Uh... Now he just needs to do a semi-graphics version. <laughs> semi-graphics. <laughs> that might be limiting on printing stuff like high score in Player One, though. No, no, he's got pretty large uh, letters there, so. And to be honest, in this case here, I don't think semi-graphics would really help it all that much. I mean, you might get a bit more color variety, but... They have a black border and... Uh... But the smooth-moving Pac-Man going around the circle, like, you'd lose that. It'd become quite blocky. That'd be my... In horizontal, yeah. yeah. You'd have to... Uh... It can be done, though. Well, it could be. 
I, I don't think he'll put the effort into doing it. He's got multiple versions. He's got all the machines covered now anyway. Coco 1, 2, 3, Dragon 3, yeah, 2, no, Dragon 64, and Coco 3. He's done pretty good, yeah. yeah. But is this out on the MC-10 yet? I think uh, he's working on it, isn't he? Yeah, I think I heard that he is, actually. Simon's working on it. <laughs> Anyway, th this one is also available for download in the Dragon group itself. So here's the uh, link. Of course, it's probably easier to grab the link from the show notes that you can get on our Discord. But basically, the uh, the, the multitude versions, the Cocoa 3 version, the Cocoa 1 and 2 artifact version, the Dragon versions are all up in Facebook, either in the Cocoa group or on the Dragon group. So, Have you got a video there of the Cocoa 3 version? We did that last week. Yeah. If he would show up on time, yeah, Nick, you would have seen I, it. I was, probably, I was probably asleep <laughs> then, yeah. So oh, have you or, got it or that. Yeah, you could have been sleeping. <laughs> Having his beauty sleep story didn't work. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm so bad. Accurate, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> Next up is another new game release that's coming out. This is a Coco 3 only game by Paul Thayer. So we've we've done little bits of previews and stuff before you're showing Cocobon. And this one here actually shows clips of multiple levels. So you get to see a lot of the different game elements. Now, as you play the game, and I've helped him beta test it a little bit, though I'm sure some others have done much more on beta testing than I have. Um, there's new elements that get introduced. It's not like, you know, Sokoban, where you're just figuring out how to push the, the blocks of gold or whatever into their final resting spots. You've got teleporters. You've got uh, a shape that you run over that will flip a deflector. You've got the lasers to unlock locks and all kinds of things. So he does this. He did a one-minute video here, and he's got his really cool demo screen. Uh, intro here that we'll be getting to in just a second. You can see the start of it on the screen right now. But he's also got a lot of the different elements, as you can see, going through the levels. And he's actually at the point now the game core is basically done. He's got some disc IO routines for saving scores and saving game states, etc. to finish. And he's hitting the same issues that Ken hit during, uh, you know, trying to do it with DiscCon. Um, but he's also looking at doing some final level designs and adding some more levels. So he wants to get some testers to go through some of the levels and make sure, you know, it's ramping up the difficulty in the right order, so the levels in the right order, et cetera. And he said to mention that uh, if anybody wants to volunteer to test this game, contact him on Discord. It's going to be a free game <clears throat> from the sounds of it. And if you contact him on our Discord, his handle is redbeard, two words, red the color, beard as in stuff I don't have, but everybody else in the panel does. Um, and then he'll, he'll let you actually do some of the testing and give him some feedback. So he's looking for that feedback right now. But uh, he's also mentioned that there's uh, uh, some music in the background of this this demo video here that he's not sure if he's going to put in the actual game or not, but it was generated on a Cocoa. And I think it's using Simon's, uh, one of Simon's uh, sound routines. So it could go in the background. So maybe give him some feedback on that if you guys would like, uh, you know, some background music, whether it's on the splash screen or in the actual gameplay itself. Uh, it does make him decide, help decide whether or not he wants to include that in the final game or if he just finds it too distracting. Anyway, I'll, I'll play the full clip here just to let people know what this game looks like.
As you can see, there's some quite complicated elements that, and, and levels that start happening once you get into the later levels there. And there's a few, I, he wants it to kind of be a, a bit of an adventure game where you have to discover what some of the new features are as you're playing. Um, so I'm not going to explain some of the things that are in there, though, even though I know what some of them are. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll have some surprises I haven't seen before either. But once once again, if you're interested in helping him test the levels um, and, and to test the level order, et cetera, uh, please contact him under the uh, nom name of uh, Red Beard on our Discord. Looks like a real fun game, and it is it is fun. I've played it. it is, it's it's a mostly strategy puzzle. There's a little bit of arcade elements, too, because you do get things chasing you and stuff later on. So He could um, probably also have the, the music, but have an option to uh, turn it off. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like he, I didn't really ask him as to why he was, you know, waffling and whether he wanted to include the music or not. I don't know if it was maybe a, a performance issue, because when you're doing the lasers and stuff, you have to do a fair bit of calculations and things. Or if it was just he's not happy with the, the music track he's come up with, or or whatever. Was everybody so. able to see the video for that? Yeah, I could. Uh, I did. Yeah. Okay. I like the music. It kind of reminded me of Maniac Mansion, actually. Yeah, I like it too. I, I personally, myself, and if you're listening to this, uh, Paul, I, I would like you to include the music with the option to turn it off in the background. Oh, like, oh right. Yeah. yeah. Volume yeah. knob, though. Mm-hmm. Have the option. Yeah. Yeah. There's a knob on your monitor. Just turn it down. Yeah, we'll have it. Through. Yeah, you could have it actually play a bit softer because it was pretty. It was a bit loud and a bit jarring. But yeah, have it at, at half volume wouldn't be bad. Yeah, that's another option too. Yeah, please, please give the feedback to Redbeard on, on our Discord. Garcia's he's looking for some and testers. So, and lastly, right. the quick game on news. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Right, young people like it loud, you know. <laughs> And, and compressed to heck, yeah. It's just old guys that don't like yeah. noises. Well, that's because we grew up when you actually had dynamics and music. I think so. <laughs> but we have to have a loud so we can hear it. Right? Yeah, that's true. What'd you say? My hearing aid only goes up so much, you know. Eh? Get off my lawn. Are we on if the next game yet? If it's too loud, <laughs> you're too old. Yeah. And I'm too old. Or, or your hearing aids turned down too low. One of the two. What? Or you haven't been playing it long enough to be annoyed. Yeah. I'm one who, I, as long as I can turn the volume down on it, I don't mind having background music. I don't, I, I don't like background music when I'm programming. I, if, if I'm trying to concentrate on something that just distracts me because I start humming lyrics and crap in my head. So I, I'll type problem. in lyrics to in the middle of my code and stupid things like that. Well, so. if you think of it, background music is usually low because it's in the background. Well, but if you're a musician, music grabs your attention. I yes. can't play music when I'm writing because I yep. pay Same attention to the music. It just yep. then I start arguing yeah. with myself: Do I want to keep coding, or I want to grab my guitar and play along? You know, type thing. So it just doesn't work for me. Some people, you know, like Bill Noble, he's a he's a programmer that I've worked with for decades, and he loves background music. He always has music playing in the background when he's he's coding. Um, I can't. I just can't do it. I have to use like EDM music with uh, repeating riffs and practically no lyrics. I mean, that's just background that noise. That doesn't even help with me because I'm trying to no. figure out, was that a C sharp? Uh, I'm going to make a lead to this in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It I, just doesn't work for me. It's too strong. Yeah. I was going to say, I like the, the uh, electronic dance music or techno. <laughs> no, no uh, um, vocals. Deep house. Dead mouse. Yeah. 
Now, if I'm it's playing good. a game, I, I'm I'm perfectly fine with it. It's, if it's part of the game itself, if it's while I'm coding, I don't want any distracting noise in the background at all. I'm really partial to the David Ladd Turn Signal Orchestra. could you imagine that sound that dave just made playing the background all the time here that's what it would feel like for me oh the david ladd techno remix (laughs) that'd be perfect for halloween i'll say that it'll scare the crap out of me but uh... really really i was waiting for that Anyway, my last, uh, we got not as much news this week because Septandi's over, so there's not a bazillion stories now. So, my last one here is Jim Gary's released a text adventure game called Pirate Island. Just one? And yeah, just one. He's he's kind of been taking a break, I think. It was a slow week. Yeah. Now, this was originally uh, by David Many, M E N Y, hopefully I'm pronouncing it correct, uh, in 1985. And he did some changes to it. So, he did a few minor like spelling corrections, that kind of thing. He also added a save and load game feature to it. And he actually got in contact with the original author who had made a couple of games and actually got his official permission to uh, to put these up as, as clones. So other than doing the video that he normally does, he also did a blog entry on it here where he kind of goes through describing, you know, getting in contact with them and some of the other games that he's done. And the fact that he's got permission to release them here. So isn't it and strange? He actually, what? Isn't it strange to get permission for uh, to do a pirate game? <laughs> I never thought of that, but that is absolutely true. Now, one one thing here, and this I'm a little bit jealous of. Um, he's got to use a, a part of MC10's basic that the Coco does not have, which is the ability to save and load arrays off tape. And he mentions that game saving was relatively easy because you can just do the save the array. It's not like you have to write out a loop of array elements like we would have to do. It's just like you know, star array and the whole thing saved in one shot. So. Kind of yeah, a, yeah totally superior to the cocoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's handy. It is handy. Yeah, I have to say that would be nice. I mean, you can kind of do it in Base Nine, but you know that's because it's Base Nine. Anyway, and uh, yeah, that one I already showed. So that's the game on news. So I will stop sharing there, and we'll switch right over into okay. the. Hey, I'll say. Around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis Muppet News Flash. Okay, go ahead. Okay, before I share the screen, um, a correction from a previous uh, news week. Um, Brendan Donahue uh, actually sent me an email. I was talking about, I can't remember what the discussion specifically was, but it was about the Sam Doubler which is the thing that allows a Cocoa 1 or 2 to run at full double speed, ROM and RAM, the 65497 poke we normally use in the Cocoa 3. And I'll just I'll just read his email verbatim here, uh, right from Brendan himself correcting me, which happens a lot. Um, I was catching up <laughs> my Cocoa talk a day or two ago, and I wanted to share a slight correction. The SAM accelerator, which allows full double speed clock access to RAM and ROM, does not require SRAM, static RAM. It actually doubles the speed of the SAM, and the SAM still does a dynamic RAM refresh. In some cases, it's necessary to install faster dynamic RAM or PIAs. And yeah, we did know that that's, that's the case. Even on the Cocoa 3, some of the original 150 nanoseconds was kind of marginal. So if you switch to 120s, it solved a lot of weird problems. Um, and then he says, note that a Cocoa VGA with revision 0.92 or higher is also required because the sampling time of the digital video data is still different 
and the standard 6847 VDG is unable to capture it. So I'd kind of miss the fact that it requires a Coca VJ. And he says, more importantly, I wanted to credit where it's due. The SAM accelerator is completely Ed Snyder's design. He figured Coco VGA could run faster and he could change the digital video data sampling timing on it. So once he got me a sample SAM accelerator, I tweaked Coco VGA to run at 50 megahertz instead of the original 25 megahertz. Note that the way it's designed today, any high-speed poke does full RAM and ROM double speed. This can render some games, Firefall comes to mind as an example, unplayable with the SAM accelerator. Also, we haven't figured out the incompatibility with real floppy drive controllers yet, but the Coco SDC works fine. So thanks, Brendan, for those corrections. For those who are interested in the SAM doubler, because it actually is a faster speed up poke capability that the Coco 3 has that the Coco 1 2 normally does not have. You Normally, you get the whole screen goes complete bonkers. Dynamic RAM refresh starts to fail, so it'll start forgetting and corrupting your code and stuff every once in a while. I know a few music players experiment with where they turn on to like full double speed, play a little bit of a note, quickly cut the regular speed so the dynamic refresh caught it back up and then put it back at double speed and would fry the screen. But you can get better fidelity sounding music, better quality notes, et cetera. So I did see a few programs back in the day in the early 80s actually did use that. But that actually solves it. Your screen works fine. Anyway, thanks. Thanks, Brendan, for sending that to me and, and for correcting me on that. Now, Curtis. Yep. Before you continue, as far as the floppy issue that he chimed in, I, the, the credit for finding that goes to Ron Klein because mm -hmm. Ron had contacted me about some issues. And of course, all the machines that he had, I guess, had the Sam Doubler in it. So none of the machines that he had were working in floppies anymore. And of course, we were going through and yeah, it was the Sam Doubler. Random question, hotline timing? And I oh, don't really know because um, I've got one, but of course, guess what? I don't have an, as an oscilloscope or any any way of capturing the, the bus data on it. So I couldn't tell you. Hmm. Okay. Well, it does sound like from the way Brendan works, I think they're still trying to figure out the exact cause of it there between him and Ed and possibly Ron and a few others. And for those who don't know, Ron is the main guy behind the Cocoa Pie project, too. Hey, since we've actually got the guest on here, um, Mr. James Diffendaffer, if you want to explain, I've got both uh, stories here that you did on your blog here concerning the uh, ray tracing stuff. So you got a Cocoa 3 four-color version here and a Cocoa 2 two-color version here. But you were actually doing some updates to BASIC and also adding a USR call if you want to kind of explain what you're doing, and I'll kind of scroll through. <clears throat> okay. Um, the ray trace is something I posted during a previous Septandi, and uh, I had added the um, the hardware multiply patch that works with the Coco 3. Uh, it copies ROM to RAM, so you, you can actually tie into it and stuff by overriding RAM. Um, and I added uh, an additional option to, well, additional thing to it that it checks to see if you've got a 6309 and then it uh switches to native mode of, on the 6309 if if you have one and so it it made it a little bit faster rendering that and that's the difference on that screenshot is the difference between a regular coco and one with the multiply patch and 6309 native mode yeah, and that's a pretty sizable. Like this thing takes hours and hours to render. I think it takes the original Coco might take about around ten hours or more. Uh, I know the 
the, and that's this version here. Yeah. The German text. Now that's that's a totally different one. Oh, is that that's, totally different? Yeah. That's a totally different one. Somebody else wrote. Um, uh, oh, yeah, but like this one. but um, the original program that I ported was a monochrome color, and it was done on a Commodore sixty four. And the if I if I translated the German correctly, it took twenty one hours on the Commodore sixty four. So. I, I just kind of guess at saying 10 hours because I am not going to sit down <laughs> and time that. <laughs> but, you know, even if this is only taking 10, well, the C64 is one megahertz roughly, and the Cocoa 3 is 1.77 or whatever. So it, and it's, it's about, does it about twice as fast after you get all the, the stuff that the hardware steals clock cycles on the, Commodore 64. So I figured, you know, that's maybe three hours less time or something like that on an actual machine. So yeah, that's, for those who have never ran these types of ray tracing programs before, like it literally is doing all these calculations for reflections and shadows and you yeah, know, multiple that, reflections and stuff here. And it, it, you watch it like draw dot by dot and it, it takes a long, long time. And what these side-by-side screenshots are showing here is that he's cleared the screen to white before he starts. And then he's got a drawing, you know, the exact same time. And the 609 native mode with the multiply patch, and you, I think you said the multiply patch makes a much bigger difference in the native mode in this case. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's finished it, drawing here while this has still got all this to finish calculating, which is several hours it, worth of work. One of the problems is I don't know how accurate the 6309 speed and 6809 speed is on VCC. Not as accurate as MAME. I can, I can attest to that. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. And And I... I mean, I ran, um, just I, I created a user call where you could turn the um, that the um, the native mode on and off so that you could use. I mean, it it'll screw up disk access and it'll screw up uh, sound, like play command and stuff like that. And so I I made it so that you could just call a user routine. And you'd poke this in the memory and it would uh, let you turn it on and off so you could ac access the normal stuff. Now, I came up with about a 3% speed difference, but that was by counting number of lines that extra that were completed. And that was kind of an estimate. And then the, that part of the screen renders slower than the lines above. So if, when I calculate a percentage of the screen, it's probably more than that. And I came up with like 3%, but it's probably, you know, more like at least 5% speed. Yeah, my, my, I mean, the 609 native mode really depends on the mix of instructions and addressing modes. Right. And, like some and don't get any speed increase at all, and I'm, some are pretty drastic. And, so. and I think one of the big things with combining it with the hardware multiply patch it cuts three clock cycles off of that, off of the multiply, if I remember right. So if if it got that right, you know, that's 30% of the, it's something, isn't it like 30% of the timing of a multiply instruction? No, the multiply is only one cycle faster. It's 10 instead of 11, so it's only like 10%. Okay, it's only one. It's it's the 68303 uh, that's three cycles faster then. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, it makes it... A bigger difference on the multiple with the multiply patch than otherwise. So anyway, yeah. 
So you've you got like a, this Cocoa better. 1 and 2 one here we're showing here, and this actually has your assembly source for your detecting and changing to native mode. And then you've got your little basic program that anybody could type in on a Cocoa 1 and 2 with a 6 or 9. We've been talking about this lately. Uh, Ken actually did a video on this recently on is there an advantage putting a 6 or 9 into a Cocoa 1 or 2 versus a 3, aside from, you know, it runs at one-tenth the power and runs cooler. And that was and all my a program that actually will be useful to people because people can write a basic program run your little routine here. And when they're not accessing disc or you know playing sound, they can kick the machine into native mode and actually run the code faster. Right. And it checks to see where the top of memory is. So it works on 16K or 32K. And it automatically checks to make sure you have a 63809 before trying to turn it on or off so it doesn't accidentally cause a problem. Yeah. So it's... It, so you, uh, you don't have to worry about whether you have one or not. You can write a program that uses it. And then if someone has a 63309, it'll work. Yep. And if, if they don't, it just leaves everything alone and just runs at normal speed. So, yeah. And and then what, my later blog post, I also did a version of the color, uh, color render. Um, like yeah. This one, this is that one. It, it has a, it, there's a updated post to that. Okay. I probably didn't yeah. grab that before the show. So um did you click on just click on a bitbanger's blog, the title at the top. I think that'll take you. Yep. Oh, so you got cook one two with artifacting now to get some of the color. Yep. And it has the code changes necessary to to switch that ray tracing program to work on the Cocoa one and two. Cool. So even for people that are not into ray tracing, and not everybody is, um, I think just downloading James's routine to do the native mode check, or the sorry, the 609 check, and then turning native mode on, I, I would like to see some of the basic programmers in the audience, either on the panel or in the chat, or anybody watches, listens to the show later, download the James routines, because they actually will work in a Cocoa 1, 2, or 3, and, and try them with your basic programs. And I'd be interested to see if certain types of programs get a bigger speed boost than certain others, if they use certain functions like certain drawing commands or something like that, depending on you know how the basic is code itself, like in, in basic ROMs or is actually written and with addressing modes and stuff they use. I'd like to see what kind of speed increases people would see. And would it make it possible, like if it's big enough in certain cases, for some people to write a game in basic that you know just ran a little bit too slow before and might actually make up for it. And you don't have to learn any new coding at all to do it. You just run this little bit that James has added. And yeah, you you, try you have to you have to do the clear, and you can't declare any variables, uh, any new variables before that because that clears all your variables and it changes all your, removes all your uh, JSR calls and stuff. But after that, once it's installed, you can turn it on and off or whatever in your code, and it'll work fine. You just got to make sure that its data comes before any data statements you do too. So I would like to see if we can get some feedback from people who have tried this on some of their own basic programs and see, you know, who have six through nines installed in their Cocoa ones and twos and just see how much of a difference did you see in your program? Like, is it 3%? Is it five? Is it 10? Then the instruction mix of what basic uh, commands you're using could be higher. I've seen some stuff that's gone up like 20, 25, 30%, depending on the instruction mix. Of yeah. I can't remember who ran it. I think it was Bill Astle ran it for me, but, there was a benchmark we were running. Uh, everybody was running on Atari age. They were running it on every machine. I think it was all benchmark. And it sped up by like 20%. Yeah. So, I mean, depending on what, what you're doing in a game or, you know, even a utility or whatever else. I mean, I'd like to see what people would find out from this. 
Because that's something we haven't really had. Like, I know Sockmaster did a 6 or 9 native mode patch that actually fixes the disc routines and stuff, too, for the Coco 3 that we released a long, long time ago. We even sped up screen scrolling with TFMs and things. But it's not that commonly known. It's Coco 3 only. This is the first general patch that people can just download and use for the Coco 1 and 2 to take advantage of the 6 or 9. So I'd love to see what people can do with it. Yeah, and since you can't patch the ROM without copying it to RAM, and then if you copy... The ROM's RAM, the high speed does, poke doesn't work. So it's this kind of gives you the best option. Yeah. And also, your solution should work on a Dragon 3264 as well. Yes. With a 639 installed. Yes, it should. So definitely, we'd like to hear back from some of the Dragon people. Maybe they as, can demo this as, at the show. <laughs> as long as the address of that top of the top of RAM pointer is the, is the same. Um, then it, it will work on the dragon. If that moved to a different address, then I would have then you to might have change. patched program a little bit to to yeah, well it. it would it would just change the ad address it peaks at the start of the program, I think. Yeah. And if there's anything like that, I'm sure Kieran or somebody could figure it out in like 10 seconds flat and patch it if needed. Oh yeah. They if they have a ROM disassembly, they can find it in no time. Yeah. Oh, they definitely do. <laughs> Anyway, th thanks for doing that, and uh, I really look forward to seeing some people actually tr give this a shot um, and, and see what kind of differences. Like, I know Ken, um, well, actually both Kens, Ken Reichert and Ken Waters, have both done some basic programming in the past, and that'd be interesting to see since I think, I know Ken Waters has a 639 in his Coco 1. Um, I'm not sure if Ken Reichert does, but I'd like to now, see like some of your old basic games and stuff. Like, what would they do with this? He, uh, and, and one of the things is, if if you don't want to turn it on and off for like play command or something like that, you could just lower the octave or something and, and it should still sound the same. I think. Yeah. Cause right now it just speeds <laughs> up the, the loop. Now yeah. disc IO will crash. Cause it, yeah. it's, well, that's up the, the that's the interrupt, the regular interrupt or whatever. Yeah. I cause it's next to register native mode. The W is pushed on the stack and, and basic has no idea that's there. So the stack it ends up pointing the wrong spot and you'll just crash. Yeah. So disc IO, you definitely want to switch it back to regular mode first. Yeah. So saving you, your uh, high scores or whatever, loading high scores, yeah. you run it off. Yeah. Anyway, so that there's your homework for the two cans on the call here. You guys can give some tests and let us know what it, what it runs like for you. Okay, next up, uh, Color Computer Programming, uh, kind of a video blog we've been covering for a while. I did a couple of videos this past week. So the first one here is he's fiddling with sine and cosine and kind of remembering how that works. I was just doing it in text mode here just to kind of see like what, what it does. Hey guys. Um, I'll just fast forward a little bit to kind of see the, the drawing part. Yeah, as you can see, uh, and he, it looks like a biorhythm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's what I was thinking. But I mean, he's, this is where he's kind of rediscovering. He said, you know, I kind of remember these things from, you know, Traeger, whatever, back in the day in school. But like like me personally, I, I barely remember any of that stuff. I kind of blotted most of that from my mind after high school was done. Um, I know a lot of people actually, are, you know, know this stuff really well, especially if they're doing 3D graphics and, and that kind of thing these days. So uh, kind of interesting him going through and kind of relearning what these, how these work, et cetera. And then his second one is his little piano program here. He's expanded so that he's got all the white notes on the keyboard working now. And then he tries to do a bit of a, a play of a song live. I think he still has it where you have to like move the joystick over or something like that to move the notes where you have these long pauses instead of having a hot key to just jump instantly, which I think would make it a bit more functional for actually trying to play something. But this was uh, you know his first foray in actually using P-Mode 4. He'd always use P-Mode 3 because he like Nick, he likes color. 
and he didn't really know about how to you know, do artifacts in basic under full control, even though it's it's fairly simple. So you can go check that one out too. Uh, next up, we have, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, Jamie Idlepix. I'm assuming that's a, either a foreign name or a pseudonym or something. But uh, for those of you on Facebook, he actually managed to buy one of the blue AgVision terminals, which is a video text terminal for the farming segment, uh, originally from the University of Kentucky, if I remember correctly, and kind of predated video text itself. Now, the video text, for those of you who've seen it, the original video text hardware was basically a Cocoa One silver case, um, and it came out before the Cocoa One did by a few months. Um, it's got a 609, but it's got a built-in modem, 300-baud modem, and it's got a built-in terminal program in the ROM instead of ROM basic. And uh, this is the AgVision version, which from his dump of it seems to be pretty well identical, except there's a uh, serial number change in the ROM. But he actually uploaded the entire ROM so that anybody wants to look through the code itself here would be able to go through it and figure it out. And uh, this is a very rare, rare thing. The Videotex terminals are fairly rare at this point, but the blue AgVision ones are incredibly rare. And I don't think we'd ever seen a ROM dump of them before because they're rare enough that you just don't get people to know how to do a ROM dump owning them. So uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's up there. So for some of those of you that want to get into the really prehistory of the Coco, when Tandy first started experimenting with the 6809 and the VDG and the SAM and all that kind of stuff, this this is this is the stuff that came out months before the Coco itself, the Coco One did. So that's a pretty interesting bit of history you found there. And here's some pictures. Since we don't normally get to see these things too close, I thought I'd let show these off here. So this is the AgVision with this special AgVision Tandy logo. You can still see the three color bars there. Where the RAM uh, badge went is now an LED, which I believe is the data. For those of you who probably know the AgVision. Yeah, that's for the modem. Okay. Yeah, so it's basically transmit or receive. It would light up, I'm guessing. Same keyboard as a Coco, same black background, anything else, but a blue case. And dollars to donuts, when you called in, the answer back would be that different ROM serial number, so they would know you were a genuine AgVision and they could do stuff with you. Yeah, that was a speculation, I think, even in the comments, is that that would have been used to identify this as an AgVision versus a generic video text terminal and maybe direct you to like different pages specifically for the agriculture industry. Probably for graphics. Kind of like, uh, what what's that, Minitel or whatever? Well, yeah, you always had to provide your answer back so they knew what to do with you. Yeah. So yeah. some of them was Dow Jones, and I'm sure this meant something to, you know. Yeah. Now, the bottom, it's just labeled as a regular tier city video text terminal. It doesn't mention the Ag Vision. I don't know if they started serial numbers over between the two different versions, the blue Ag Vision specific. They, they couldn't have made a lot of those. Right. <laughs> well, at least 386, according to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Though, as Mark's mentioned, he said, actually, some of those serial numbers were just filler and didn't really mean anything at all. So. And here you can see the back, like the joystick ports, they're just, they've got the groove for it, but they weren't punched out because you didn't have joysticks, but you had the separate telephone connection here. Now, is that a, like a serial? Or is that an actual... I can't really tell. Unfortunately, the shadowing on this is pretty bad. It no, looks it had like a built-in modem, dim. so right. It looks like it plugged in the modem one or something, but it could be a phone line hookup, right? Yeah, because didn't these 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 had built-in modems? They didn't need it. Yeah, if you look modem, at the right? board, it looks like it's got a built-in modem. So that's probably just those are the connectors we use on this board. So that's what your phone can see. That's what is. why it's got that. Uh, yeah. 
if you zoom in a little bit, it's got transformer. A, a, a transformer and then it's got a clock yeah. there uh, to the left. Well, just to the right of the big, huge capacitor. Crystal's like here? Yeah. Yeah. But the DIN fit the mold they had for the Coco Videotext, whatever. So, yeah, that's what we get, right? Yeah. Just use a DIN because we use a DIN 5 for everything. Yeah, it might be a DIN to uh, uh, the phone type of jack connector. Right. It might have been a little RJ, cable. RJ right, 12, 11. Yeah. But they had tooled. It was a DIN 5. It's even got the Tandy Corp copyright 1980 over here, which is. But they don't have the connections for the card. I know that helps you. Yeah, that's the clock crystal. Whatever. RF shielding, of course. And there's the RF shield off. So you can see the SAM still here. That's a lot of chips just for a terminal. And the ROM got a little bit sadder because of this flash shot. Because <laughs> it's not covered. Yeah, I think I would want to put a piece of tape over that so it doesn't get erased. Yeah. I can't tell That's here. Good. Are these RAMs? Like, this is the RAM here. Yeah. Is that yes, socket that's, that's soldered right on? Looks socketed. I think that's... Oh, God, I can't tell. I can't really tell from this one. It looks socketed. Yeah, it's just... It's socketed. No, it's, it's, no it can't be. There's there's no need to have expandable RAM. It's a video text terminal. It runs yeah, code it's hard. To, I think that's just blank motherboard below, not an actual socket. Right. Yeah, that, Yeah. because it doesn't stick out beyond the pins. You look on the bottom side of the, the chips. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So there's Which makes sense because this would have been a fixed RAM for this this product, but not Well, it only needs like 4K. Yeah, enough for a screen, which is 5 bytes and yeah. some buffering. Screen, <laughs> run a printer, whatever. No, just a fascinating bit of history that's quite rare. There's a zoom up of the actual ROM. Now, this is copyright 1981, so apparently they, they didn't update it some sort. <laughs> Interesting, they actually put video text on the, the ask. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see the sticker. It's from the uh, FDLRS PAEC library in Florida. So they actually had it so you could come in and use it in a library or something, I guess. Farmer come going in and check out his stuff and maybe print it out on his line printer for it at the library and off he goes. <laughs> that makes sense at that time. Yeah. I mean, this is very early, early days here. So and I think we're back. Did that so did that come out in 1980 or 1979? Um, the project was definitely started in 78, 79. Um, I think now I'm not sure if the Ag Vision version came out before Videotex, but Videotex itself, I think, started getting sold around February, March of 1980, which is months before the Coco One came out for sale okay. or even was announced because it was announced in July, I think, of 1980. So, and then on sale around September ish. So, sold through at least 81 because of the ROM on this one. Yeah, but I, yeah, it would have came out in early 1980 for sure, possibly late 79 on maybe some of the very earliest versions. 
this is obviously the later one because it's the 1981 ROM, but that's a, it's an interesting bit of cocoa history because it's these are these are rare. The blue ones are quite rare. I've only seen pictures from I think two or three people that actually own these. Um, yeah. The well, when they when their serial number is like three thousand, it's like, okay, did they start counting at one thousand? Right, <laughs> it's three eighty six, and you know, you never know. <laughs> I mean, now, the great video text terminals. I have seen those in person numerous times over the years. I remember seeing them in the store. So, I mean, those those are a bit more common, but I've I've never seen one of these in real life. Yeah, I, I've got a uh, an MC ten that's got a two hundred thousand eighty two or something like that serial number. And it's like, did they really make that many of them? <laughs> well, they did sell them in Europe and stuff too. So, I mean, they might've. Yeah. I do have a question. Yeah. Did you actually, um, for like the ag vision and for the video techs, did you actually go to the store and buy the unit or did you like rent it or, or something? The, the gray video text terminal you bought in the store, uh, the blue one, I'm not sure. I never saw a blue one though. Yeah, because I've always person. wondered about that. If you if you like, if you purchase the the service month to month, and part of that purchase month to month purchase was was rental was like rental of thing, the yeah. unit because there's so few seen that you would think that they had to be returned if they closed ah, their account or something. Right, everyone had to give them back, so there are none in the wild. Yeah, that's possible. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I know Jamie. from the uh, the history book that Boise and Bill wrote that uh, this was the project was started in '78, I think, internally, and then I think they had you know limited in the University of Kentucky in '79. I think the thing, it, the thing about it that confuses me is they used a chipset that they had to have a lot of chips, and they and I, I mean they they could have done something like the MC10 because it's a microcontroller, the 6803, and it. I mean, they but could this, have done the same thing. Was the 6803 out in 7980, though? Right. Um, it was out in 77, but it was reserved for automobile, like GM. They used it for, okay. a, uh, a, I don't know, it was a $900 add-on, and hardly anybody bought it for the Caddy. But this and is then the in 78, it was in their catalog. But this is the straight-up Motorola design that they used for... Dragon and the cocoa, the jet yeah. See, but you wouldn't have you wouldn't have needed a SAM or a PIA or whatever. You'd have just right. he already had it, just like you already had the five ten den plug. So that's what you use yeah. for the phone jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and to cut costs since they were designing the cocoa one at this this point too, and maybe they decided you know this is just we'll just do it in comments. We write the ROM code once. We can sell it as a video text cartridge on a cocoa. We can sell the separate terminals if that's all you want to do. I mean, it probably is a cost-cutting to share the hardware design between them all rather than have two separate product lines with completely different chips. That'd be my guess. They definitely could build these on the same assembly line in the same cases. They just get painted differently. Yeah, like the molds, exactly the same, same yeah. keyboard. Yeah. Well, right. Yep. In engineering, once you get a, a solid 6809 design that works, why mess with it? Yep. Sell it 12 different ways. Re reuse that IP. Yeah. Yeah. When I was uh, chatting with Jamie uh, about this, um, he had no idea what he had. He thought this was a, like a prototype or just or just something odd. He had no idea when he posted on our website. He had no idea he was going to get the attention that he did with it. Yeah, he got quite a bit there. He got several private offers for it. I think too. <laughs> I'm sure they were pretty decent. <laughs> 
Uh, but he was he was kind enough to actually you know like, like dump the ROM and put it up too, which is kind of nice because I I don't think anybody had ever seen that since you know when these were out. Um, and then discovered it's pretty well. Same I've as never seen a dump of the ROM before, so yeah. Where did well, you from what you said, it's the same as the as the standard Videotex gray terminal with that serial number changed to identify it as an AgVision terminal. A right, bit of interesting Cocoa history there. So congratulations to Jamie on finding one, first of all, and then also for being kind enough to release the ROM dump so we can kind of learn about the history of itself. Next up, uh, Jim Brain did a long post here. Uh, explaining what him and Randy Weaver and I think Brendan Donahue got involved at some point too. This is from Tandy Assembly. So Randy has these Radio Shack letters, which I think are a metal thing, and then they wanted to get them lit up without destroying the letters, without drilling holes in it, et cetera. So he actually ended up adding some LED lights, et cetera, to it. And then he goes an explanation of hardware, which is way beyond my pay grade. And then he does a Cocoa basic program that controlled the lights. And then he did some screenshots here, and he's got a little bit of a video. So I'm going to zoom this up. I contributed to that project. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. You see all the wires that go from the one point to another to each individual light? I'm not seeing anything but a white screen right now because Facebook's being a pain in the ass. Yeah, basically <laughs> it was a uh, wire with three wires inside. Facebook. Let me force reload and see if it works then. Could be because also I had to restore my tabs after I rebooted from the previous problems i was having yeah it was a uh, cable with three wires inside and, and um, one to each letter i'm the one who stripped all those wires something you can see <laughs> so by the strip for us huh? fun? <laughs> yeah so you're a stripper exactly <laughs> <He is a> stripper. <laughs> You can see the lights going across here. They programmed a couple different patterns in it here to kind of show the individual control of it. So how long did this take sleeping? Was this like a nighttime project during the show or what was it since you were um, You want the truth of it all? <laughs> While that was happening, I was broke down on the side of the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Oh, okay. Yeah, because... Um, Literally, the, the the hardware assembly happened before I left. Um, I stripped the wires like Saturday Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. I left around seven p.m. as Jim was uh, putting the wire while while the um, while while the um, auction was going on. Jim was starting to wire it up, and then uh, he was putting the wiring in. Um, right before I left, and then finished up the wiring and the power and all um after i after i'd left uh, tandy assembly so yeah because i do like some of the effects there like they have the rapid you know turn each one on and off full but they also have the fade right. in and fade outs going between letters and yeah because they the uh the leds the leds are actually rgbw's and but only the white or red would actually work because the 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 fronts are translucent red so no other color would come through really um but and they there are at the top you can see the cocoa controlling it all Right, and they are individually uh, addressable, so you'd be able to do all kinds of effects. This would have been a nice A-bus project for Brian's uh, board set there. <laughs> yeah, I said that the iOS shouldn't be lit up, but the rest of it should. Actually, what Brian's going to have to do now is attach some uh, stepper motors to it and get this thing to fly while it's flying around, you know, <laughs> living up and stuff here, and you know, turn uh, it into a drone. 
Right. And they're, well, they're they're not exactly light because I mean they are made out of uh, metal. <laughs> metal. So. Put it on yeah. cables like the Skycam and fly it around over. The- <laughs> no, it's a pretty cool project because I mean you're, you're at Tandy Assembly. You have an actual Radio Shack sign from back in the day, and you have a Coco. This is a Coco two, or is it a Coco three? I can't really tell by the screenshot here, but um, two. You know, controlling the whole thing with with a Coco, so it's like all in theme. When Sloopy was showing us the um, show. He was on the floor putting those together, remember? Yeah. 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 And you can see some of the wiring, you know, to, to put all the lights in. Coco 2. There we go. With a why raw Coco it? SDC, it looks like. Oh, why, is, why, why is the background of the keyboard gray? That might just why be the lighting from the flash, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. They look on the sides, it's regular. On the flat parts. There's one of the interiors, you can kind of see the LED light set up there. Looks a lot different than the neon. Right? I used to to work on letters like that when I was young. Yeah, these won't light you up so much. Yeah. It is a cool effect, though, and it it, it was was cool the fact that you guys designed and started this project at the show, basically live. Like, it wasn't pre-planned well, pre-done and hauled into the show ready to go from my understanding right. from reading the blog that jim did it was actually designed at home uh the assembly well the the, the individual control boards were pre-assembled but wiring those bo- putting those board those boards in the letters and wiring those boards to the controller was done at the show now was the programming done live at the show or was that already pre-planned somewhat no um that was done at the show. Um, Brendan Donahue did that. So most of this is like live. This is this is yeah. cool. Live hardware and software design at the show. That that is yeah, news, guys. I've got all the parts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I actually had to fix one of the uh, control boards too. So <laughs> I did some soldering work on the boards. That's a, that's a true open source public project because you're doing it live, right on the show floor type thing. That's awesome. <laughs> live, baby, live. Yeah, Jim got out of uh, going, uh, being in the, um, being in the auction by doing that. That was my mistake. Man. I should, I <laughs> should have helped for him. him. More. Yeah, I should have helped him more with that than maybe I wouldn't have spent so much in the auction. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that that's really cool. Now, one other thing I, I do want to mention uh, briefly here. There's no story or anything to show you visually on it, but uh, Dennis Bathory Kits, the guy who we uh, Brian showed one of his products earlier. I uh, also did the color kit, which is the lowercase kit for the Coco One Two back in the day. He did all the stuff with Tier City Model One and Three as well, and uh, he's been a guest speaker at Coco Fest in the past. He's been a guest on our show actually for an interview a couple of years back. He's the one who actually maintains the uh, the Coco list, the uh, email group listserv type thing uh, to replace the original listserv because it was getting spammed to death. And he started 19 years ago. I didn't realize it was that long already. But he'd noticed that there hadn't been too many messages to it the last couple of weeks. So we actually posted a thing saying, are people still using this? Should I shut it down? Should I keep it going? He's okay with doing either way. And the list all of a sudden got the most traffic it's had probably in five to 10 years in the past week from everybody responding. Yeah, keep it. And that's where I discovered that there's a lot of people that refuse to use Facebook, first of all. Uh, a lot of people that don't like the way Discord organizes messages because it's impossible to find anything. And they much prefer the list and, and some of the utilities that you can use to go through an email list type thing. So overwhelmingly, he he's agreed to keep it going. Um, 
But yeah. it, was, it was quite fun. It reminded me how many people are not on any other social media to get Cocoa News except the list. And we've been talking, and Alan, I, I think you were kind of one of the people that mentioned this, Alan Murphy, about that maybe we should be posting the news summaries and links and stuff from uh, what I do here on the show and then post them on the on the actual Cocoa List every week so that people who aren't on Facebook, aren't on Discord, can And who hate change. What's that? <laughs> it's a good Was idea. Those who hate change. <laughs> well, no, some of them are just, you know, paranoid about Facebook sucking all your data too. I mean, I, I can, I can sympathize with that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a good idea. So uh, hopefully we'll start doing that fairly soon there. So that people that don't you know get to watch the show or, or people in rural areas, I mean, there's some people in rural areas that have like really crappy cell phone. They're running on like 2G or whatever the, heck the predecessor to uh, 5G was called but edge. You know, they can't stream video they just can't they don't have the bandwidth because i know there's a few cocoa and some big name cocoa people that are out on farms and stuff that just can't do it so you know doing all this video audio stuff is great for people that live in the cities and have bandwidth for some of the people out there it's just not feasible so this would be one way for them to keep up to date and with what's happening back to the regular stuff so okay, so Keith March, we mentioned him last week, has been trying to get as much technical documentation, the MM1, that he can. And he's actually posted a whole bunch of more PDFs here the last week. So he's been keeping it going. Um, David Ladd, you actually own an MM1. Uh, did it come with any of these schematics, or is it something he's been kind of creating on his own, do you know? Um, unfortunately, I got it as a uh, from a person that ordered two, and I had gotten mine as a add-on because i wanted one but i couldn't afford it so i had to like pay the person off <laughs> so i got the mm1 and that was i think it um i might have had the os9 book but i don't think i had anything else with it um now i did get the 8 meg backplane which of course came with new boot roms which of course included support for booting off the hard disk, but that's pretty much the only real major changes I did other than putting a Cyclist 44 and 88 in it. Yeah. So this is one thing, I mean, the M1's a fairly rare machine itself. I don't know how many were sold ultimately. And there was the M1B, which is a 68340, much faster version as well. Uh, but the fact that uh, Keith's been actually uploading all of the different uh, you know, scans of the of the different boards and satellite boards and technical documentation, I said, I think is really good. Uh, there's even been some rough talk about maybe trying to duplicate the machine because actually, when you when you got it up to its max, it was a pretty decent machine. It ran OSK. It had a full windowing system called K Windows that Kevin Darling created that was based on the one that you know Nitrous Nine and OS Nine Level Two used, but expanded. It had graphics, like if you had the palette controller, you had 16 million colors, which back in like the early 90s when this came out was pretty high end. Um, DMA that had you know support for Amiga sound and, and video files and stuff like it had a lot of really good things on it. Pretty decent resolution too. with the interlace. You can get like what, what's the resolutions, David, like 640 by 400 by 256 color or something at. Yeah, hertz there, there was both standard progressive and interlaced um on the machine which um for some of the re resolutions i like to use for 
more tech space, I usually had to run the inner lights to get the extra resolution. Yeah. But, it did flicker uh, a bit. I remember seeing these at the show there. But the speed difference jumping from the original MM1, which is a 68070, a Signetics chip, which ran at 15 megahertz, but it was actually slower than the equivalent Motorola part. So it ran the equivalent of about a 12 and a half megahertz, 68,000. But the 68340 ran, I can't remember the, the chip speed, but it, it was a much more advanced chip and it ran literally twice as fast, or if not faster. So it was a big speed boost too for doing all the graphics and stuff. It, it was a nice machine. It just, I think by the time the early 90s hit when the TC9, TC70, System 4, System 5, and then one and one b came out, the market had been too saturated already by all the PC clones and the Mac and pretty old wiped out everything else, including the Amiga and the ST and a bunch of others were starting already going on the wayside at that point. I think it was just too little too late, um, even though it had a really great operating system. Yeah, the the MM1 from my use, um, I, I I did a lot of bad things. I, I did I uh, all the fonts. I couldn't help myself. I had to load all the fonts once. Once I got the eight meg board upgrade, that's what I do in EOU. It makes uh, software compatibility a lot easier. Yeah. As, as Rick discovered, because he disabled that because he didn't like the load times, and he went to run a bunch of things, and they all come up with dots and stuff there because none of the fonts that it needed were loaded. Well, and that's a problem yeah. I hit. That's when I decided just to preload them because they don't take a ton of RAM on a five. And EOE requires 512K anyway, so you're not even blowing that much. But it does take some time to boot. And EOU 6.1 boots a whole lot faster than 5. Yeah. The beta. Well, remember, yeah. my defense, I'm, I'm testing hardware, so I'm rebooting a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm not blaming you. I actually have it, you know, killed down for me for doing certain things too. So just gotta remember to turn it back on if you're just trying to play the user. David, is your MM1 still operational? Um, the original hard drive isn't, but um I kind of cheated. I used my uh zip 250 when the drive was I man you know I because it, it was having a stiction issue so I twist the drive to get it to start up and I formatted a zip 250 disk then I did the uh, the cobbler to it and then transferred the entire drive over to the zip 250 and now I'm waiting to get off my rear to use one of those SCSI to SD adapters so I can put a micro SD card into it and restore that image on it and just boot off of that. But, you know, me being lazy like normal. Yeah. No, it's, it's a new machine. I mean, with not modern day, you know, reprogrammable chips and stuff here, I think you could make a clone that ran at the same speed and actually experience, I think, probably what became the most advanced actual hardware released as far as a quote-unquote Coco 4 goes. Um, and the one that had the most software advances, the TC70 wasn't quite as robust on the software support. The TC9 we did pretty well, but that's basically just a Cocoa 3 with you know one mega RAM built in, some 8-bit ports instead of 6-bit for sound and joysticks, etc. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting bit of history. I mean, it was pretty fascinating watching that because it was uh, at the time it was probably one of the more advanced machines in the market. But you know, it's a mon pa you know style operation. You just couldn't compete with the big boys, and I, I don't think anybody could have at that point. It's one of the reasons I think Radio Shack kind of pulled out of, you know, doing anything besides Tandy 1000 style level machines. 
Next up, this was kind of an unexpected little weird video. Um, and this is a YouTuber, Video Game Central, one subscriber. And I just happened to find it because I did a search. But he's working on, as he puts it, porting 3D Sages, which is another YouTube channel, Doom Engine to the Tandy Color Computer 3, day one. And so a little basic program, and basically he hits some keys, and it basically moves some dots around in Semi-Graphics 4. And uh, I'm assuming he's just kind of testing, you know, the, the calculations are going correct. He said he has some bugs he's still got to fix. It's a lot of math. That's basically doing ray casting, I would guess, just from a quick glance at it. But uh, it, it, it's not really showing that much at this point. But I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what he can do trying to report a Doom engine to basic <laughs> Google 3 and how well that's going to work. But I think it's kind of like calculating distance between points and how they expand it to get closer and that type of thing. So I'll, I'll follow his and see where he goes with this. I'm kind of curious myself. No commentary except for the description of the video itself. Next up for the MC10 people in the house here, uh, Dylan Teagan has uh, put a, a screenshot of the great pumpkin animated graphics that Paul Shoemaker did with the little leaves wandering and fall into the pumpkin patch. But uh, he's actually converted it and got it running too. Um, you can actually download it off the MC10 group on Facebook. If you have an MC10, you want to check it out, kind of into the Halloween theme. So if, the, if Ghost Rush Halloween Edition gets ported to MC10, that'll be two new MC10 um, Halloween-related graphics programs to be released. So that'd be kind of cool. MC10's been getting a lot of love lately, like from some of their games from Inafuto, et cetera, too. So <clears throat> good to see the MC10 getting some love after the years of hate we spawned on it for being a doorstop. And that's where you go download it, of course, because of Facebook, you have to rename the file to extract it. So he's giving you some directions there. I don't know, like we don't really have a, uh, a repository for MC10 stuff um, unless people are uploading their MC10 stuff to the Color Computer Archive. And Jim Gary has a lot of his own stuff on his own page, but uh, I don't know if we need a separate section or or somebody wants to make it a separate place so people can do, looking for just for MC10 can find it that much easier instead of sifting through all the Cocoa stuff at the same time. This is a rather interesting one here. This is taking two bits of retro hardware and putting them together to make some noise. Or, uh, well, and, and, and useful things like printing. So this is a, um, an MC10 that he's printing onto an Apple Image Writer 1 through a little basic program. And he does a little bit of a description here. You know, flip the baud rates around and stuff here to get it to work. But I thought it was just kind of cool getting one retro computer talking to another piece of retro hardware from you know a similar era. And from two different companies yet, going from a TRS-80 MC10 to an Apple ImageWriter 1. Gotta love that keyboard. As I recall, CI-TO, I made the, uh, the ImageWriters 1 and 2. Next, we're going to have dogs and cats living together in harmony. <laughs> exactly what I thought when I saw it. <laughs> Plus, there's Apples that nostalgia of hearing a line Living printer Living together. Going. Yeah, because uh, hey. nobody nobody really buys line printers anymore unless you're still dealing with that carbon stuff for work or something like that. So it's, it was a bit okay, nostalgic just hey. to hear that. Even O'Reilly's is starting to get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I lived with that for years at work because we had the huge, like, true line printers. I printed a whole line in one shot with this big <laughs> <hammer> <laughs> <bandwagon>. <laughs> Yeah, 300 is, I think our fastest one at work ran at 900 lines per minute. Right. Entire full width lines. Like, it just cranked. The old Burroughs chain printer. So, yeah, 132 <laughs> columns with every letter on the chain for each column. Boom. Yeah, the ones we had were, were like little like dot matrix, but it had a hammer bank that shifted back and forth two characters width, and then it would actually had forty four hammers for hundred thirty two column. No, sixty six hammers, sorry, for hundred thirty two column, and it would just shake back and forth. And the one and I remember cranked. from college was a rotating drum of the characters, and it spun at high speed. And I mean, it was like blah, 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 line at a time, and it was just yeah. We had special quieted cases with styrofoam and all kinds of. Stuff to try to quiet down didn't really help them. It was still loud. Yeah. <laughs> it shouted over it. Yeah. Tandy sold a line printer. Like a true line printer? Like yeah, this, it was, this. It was it was the one you described where it shifted about two characters. Yeah. On yeah, one it, roll it accepted a line at a time, but it didn't actually print a line at a time. So it wasn't really the same thing. But yeah. Some companies yeah. had computer rooms, didn't they? Or uh, in printer rooms. Yeah. Yeah. For we good did. reason. Yeah, yeah, we had Printronics no, printers and we had Imanas Mentalis. Imanas Mentalis were the faster ones. It was produced by a company in the West Coast somewhere. I don't remember where they were located. But uh, I mean, if you're printing like line printer, standard, you know, eight and a half by 11 inch line printer feed, it would print an entire page of full text in literally less than a second on a line printer. Exactly. Yeah. They were just insane. Actually, we had the Cocoa controlling that at artwork too. So even brings it back into Cocoa stuff. Then we got a couple of things on the dragon here. Uh, the first one here, this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, another luminary has joined the dragon group, Ian Thompson Bell. And this is his actual original post. Introduced himself, and you can see on the screen, but just for the audio listeners, as the project leader for the original Dragon 32 at Pat Center until the initial product launch and for some time beyond until development was taken over by Dragon Data's own R&D team. So this is like before Dragon Data really fully got going. He was part of the original team that actually helped design the Dragon 32. Um, so that's an interesting bit of history. And then Duncan Smeet, of course, who was with Dragon itself here, uh, said, good to have you here, Ian, and kind of welcome in, because uh, obviously they would have worked together in the transition between the two. So that, if you guys have some you know, ancient Dragon knowledge you want to learn, that's the guy to ask. So if you're not a member already, join the Dragon 3264 owner user group on Facebook. And you can actually ask them some questions that are pre-Dragon Data type thing when they were just getting started. Um, I, I'm hoping that, I don't know if he's planning on being at the Dragon Show in a couple of weeks here in uh, Wales, but uh, it'd be awesome if they could get him down there to kind of give some early history, uh, even beyond what we've already heard on the Dragon Special, et cetera. So that was kind of cool. And then my last story this week, and I'll just play a little clip of it. I won't play the whole thing. Well, it's only 52 seconds. Maybe I'll be brave and print the whole thing. But basically, uh, a person on YouTube with a channel called The Only Way is 32K, which I thought is awesome for 8-bit machines. So he did a quick video here comparing similar game artwork between the Dragon 32 and BBC Micro. Now, these are not the exact same games, but they're games that are kind of similar genres. Like you see two Donkey Kong clones or something like that. And it was just kind of comparing like what the artwork was like between like the micro deal uh, you know, stuff for the Dragon and then also what they had on the BBC Micro, which was the uh, the main one used in the schools there, from what I understand. So I'll just play the 50-second check. I'll just mute it because there's no text and there's some song in the background. I'll make sure we don't get a copyright strike. I don't know if it's free or not. 
but you can kind of compare and decide which is Dragon, which is BBC Switches. There's not inconsistency, but you'll be able to tell from the logos. But uh, once again, the artwork designs in the UK, except for a few like Brian had brought out earlier from uh, Mitch Tron and uh, Spectral Associates are definitely were more advanced than most stuff we saw here. Here was definitely low budget. Yep. Yet our games cost more. That's one thing I hear from Dragon. Yeah, they expensive. all were talking about being able to buy a cassette for like four for pounds a few or pounds. two pounds. Yeah. Which even back then, the pound would have been like $2.20 American maybe. So like five bucks. Yeah, but it's still pounds. under 10 bucks, even yeah. the more expensive ones. Killed your gorilla versus Donkey King. <laughs> Shenanigans, rather famous Mark Data products one. Ironically enough, Shenanigans on the Coco used artifact colors like crazy. They even used the subtler ones like the cyans and the yellows and the purples and stuff like that. I hate to imagine what that would look like on a dragon. It would just be a colored mess, I would figure. But it's a really good game, so still highly recommend it. And that is it for the news this week. So wake up, everybody! Oh, we are. What about me? Is it uh, what inning inning stretch now? I, I don't. I'm not, do we have like twenty? <laughs> so I don't know if we have any more segments planned here. We did products acquisitions. We did game on challenge. We did the news. Is there anything else to discuss, or should we actually have a shorter show this week I mean, I, after all the Septandy long ones? Uh, I just want to. I want to add one comment about the stuff I put on my blog. I intend for you to cut it and paste it into like VCC, the emulator, do any editing, you know, there. And then you can save a, make a disc image and you can put it on a real Coco because it takes so much less effort than trying to type it on the Coco or whatever. So. Yeah, we should probably make a disk image that people can just download that little routine and just load it and merge it with their own programs at some point, too. Well, I, I think I'll probably put together all, all the stuff I've done in BASIC, and it'll probably fit on one disk because most of it's not very big. Plus, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people can actually run the demos themselves and see the speed differences. I like too, that so. idea. Yeah. So unless anybody else has anything else they want to add on, um, I think we're done the show for today. Yes, Time to run that beautiful get, outro footage. Um, unless to, Ron can start a uh, discussion for us. There was somebody yeah. saying they did have something? I, there was a couple yeah. of voices going. Hi, here. Here in the back. <laughs> I just yeah. find Ed, Could you stand up there? There we are. <laughs> no, I just want to remind everyone next week, the Coco Talk Game on Challenge uh, Live will be Thursday instead of Friday. At 8 p.m., please Eastern. be there. Get ready to play our game of the week, which I've already Fangman. 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 Yeah, Fangman. Written by David Crandall, sold by Tom Mix Software. And chosen by the Game On High Council. Thank you, and I will see everyone Thursday, correct? 
If you're lucky. Well, I am. I am, so I will see you. Oh, this concludes another episode of Dave. Overtime, the world's Sorry, what was that, Nick? Talk show featuring the Tandy discussion. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web. Too late, we're done. I think that ship has sailed. We're, we're, we're done. Here from we're by. Nope, not well, listening. We still, uh-uh. <laughs> still have the final thoughts. No, 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 no. By the way, all of our stuff's going out through the stream. So, hbit256.com. That's okay. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk. I'm still dressed, so it's all good. It's cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to. Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Riker, Jim Brain, Ken Riker, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Ron DelVoe, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T. Com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! Okay. Any last thoughts? Hold the button, Frank. My okay. last thought is is be kind to each other and love the cocoa. Ooh. There you go. It's Thank okay you, to love oh, your cocoa, but just don't love your cocoa. It's be kind and rewind. Really? Yeah. See y'all next week. <laughs> Later, everyone.